0: My name is Jenny.
1: My name is Ted.
0: My name is Gray. And,
1: and this, this is, is Anamorphology.
0: The invasion. The visitor. The encounter. The message. The predator. The capture. The stranger. The, am- the secret. The android. The forgot. The reaction. The chain. The unnecessary warning. The decision. The supposed departure. The secret. The discovery. The proposed threat. The winged conspiracy. The, invasion, the, the separation. The deception. The suspicion. The, the unnecessary sacrifice. The, the diversion. The, answer, the beginning. Megamorphs 3. My
1: name is still Jeremy.
0: So Jeremy, we've already asked you about your Animorphs history in Episode 9, but has your Animorphs journey evolved since then? Have you continued to read them?
1: I've continued to read the books. Amazing. I am... I think I've been at like a good ten books ahead of the show for a while okay. now. Okay. So what
0: of, book uh, are you on now?
1: The next one for me is number forty-one, The Familiar.
0: Okay. So I, I'm,
1: I'm one Megamorphs ahead of. Yeah, a discrete so unit of measure. Yeah, yeah. A Megamorph. Were there other books in reading them all? Like, were there other books that you remembered? Like, oh, I actually did read this one. You know, no, my, read, there's yeah. n- been no memory from my childhood. <laughs> it was only six that had even like the slightest wow. Okay, It's possible I read like one book and had others, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. but I was just cut off. After no, that. I, was I, was wondering, wondering. I was wondering if it start to come back and be like, oh yeah. I don't think I've had any more nightmares though. Yay. <laughs> I keep thinking I'm going to, and then I have nightmares about like mass shootings and things that are way oh, no. scary.
2: I mean, this book was right up there with some of that. <laughs> this book was yeah. really, really intense. Yeah.
1: Was the, was the motto of the book, you don't need to be afraid of irreality, because reality is bad enough.
0: Yeah, the Yerks
2: aren't so bad, it's yes, the
0: motto of this book.
1: Did people enjoy reading this book?
2: Enjoy seems like a strong word.
1: <laughs> so, I remember when I started this book. So, I reread it for today's August. But, I started the book. I was in Brooklyn for a wedding in August. It was like two weeks before my own wedding. I was kind of stressed out. And I was like, oh, good. I could just like, just do all this travel. I can read this. <laughs> Relax,
0: Relax and read book. And then this I started book, and I
1: was yeah. like, what the hell is this? <laughs> Why are there slaves? What is going on? Mm -hmm. And I was like, nope. (laughs) Put it down for like a week before I could come back to it.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I do really like the fake out at the beginning. I love how stuff is slowly planted. At first it seems normal and then you get like, we Melissa. will get into it later. We get no, Melissa, I, I and then we get the slaves. Like, yeah, I, I was like, wait, this wasn't even ghostwritten. How did they put Melissa's name in here? Oh, I remember this. Yeah, and then I was like, there's some like major like thing is going to be dropped at the end of this chapter, and I don't remember what it is. Mm-hmm. And then we turn to it, and it's like, it's a beautiful day at the beach. Even the slaves attending their masters were having fun. And I was like, that's what it was. <laughs> I liked that it was short. <laughs>
2: Yeah. Yeah. I was a little worried about that. But my yeah, my notes got progressively confused. <laughs> like Melissa, excuse me? <laughs> what is happening here? And then I got to the end of the chapter and was like, Well, that's one way to make it very clear. We're in an alternate timeline.
1: So did you end up liking it more than you thought you would, Jenny? Or Still cool on Mega Mars 3. Yeah,
0: this wasn't one that I actively disliked. I think I was never like super into it. And I I think I can see I can see why. It's not giving me a lot of my favorite parts of of Animorphs. They're in sort of these weird settings all the time and you know, they're kind of frantic and running for their lives all the time. And this time, like I read most of it between the end of work and the beginning of this podcasting session. So I I was a a little rushed. (laughs) Um, but no,
2: I, I I basically enjoyed it.
1: Great takeaway. Is it up there with the other two Megamorphs books?
2: No, it's not. I mean, it, I do like having all of their voices. That's something that I've enjoyed about all the Megamorphs books. This one I liked, the history lessons. I got very nerdy about the Battle of Agenport. <laughs> were, were there history lessons?
0: <laughs> no, we I learned like... things from this. I learned what Hessians were. There you go.
2: <laughs> it's those kinds of See, things. I was
1: reading this book at the time that I was also reading, like, Revolutionary War history, <laughs> but that's This oh, This is
2: the sort of um, gateway drug for, you know, you, re- you start with this, and then you get into, like, <laughs> Jeff Shara, and then by the time, you know, you're a dad, you're don't, reading all don't the Don't say David, anything
1: bad about Jeff Shara. <laughs> no
2: no I would never but then by the time you're a dad you're reading you know Dave McCullough and all of the other Pointed. histories of the founding fathers so it's yeah. just it's a that's progression. A, that's not
1: Rushmore it's yeah. Kay Applegate Shara exactly. McCullough the other guy I'll appear to have when I read more history yeah,
0: exactly
1: <laughs> oh Teddy Roosevelt
0: okay yeah there we go perfect
2: <laughs> one of these things is not
1: like the other and we can all agree it's Teddy Roosevelt
2: yes <laughs> <laughs> it's true <laughs>
1: I love Megamorphs 3. It's so okay. good. It's one of my favorites.
0: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> all right, this is going to be exciting. <laughs> Controversial. You, I'm really excited. Did you find it all plausible, time travel wise? Are we going to have that debate? Oh, yeah, we'll
1: get into <laughs> it. Okay. No, no, no. So, so no, no. This, the time travel is utter nonsense, Great. but okay. it is <laughs> the best version of time travel. We'll talk about mm. it. We'll, we'll first, talk about
0: it. Okay. First, all right. I think, it's, I think it doesn't hold together. But it's been all too right.
1: long since the first time we said slaves to not explain it. That <laughs> so, is a good
0: point. Uh,
1: in this book, oh boy, we get a prologue that reminds us about the time matrix. Mm-hmm. And where it is and how <laughs> and it got there. who
2: needed a reminder of the time matrix? Uh, I did yeah, no You guys, you guys, I just finished editing <laughs> episode 29. And <laughs> as I was editing it, which is before I read this book. I got to the end where I was doing my prediction, and I went, great, you moron. <laughs> <laughs> it's obviously going to be the Time Matrix. <laughs> what
0: the hell is wrong with you? The day we recorded that episode, several times later that day, you referenced the Time Matrix, and Ted and I were just looking at each other, being like, she didn't put it together. She knows there's time travel. There's a secret that Elfengor has. This maybe
1: our first mailbag, I was like, so they never use the Time Matrix? <laughs> Even though you think there are going to be nine more ones with time travel?
0: They never
2: uh, use the
0: Time
1: uh, Matrix. You get yeah. it.
2: I'm so bad at this game. <laughs> no, no you're great.
1: very good at this game. Great. The dramatic <laughs> it irony. Was, it was wonderful. I'm
2: sorry. After, the, after
1: that prologue, so it's a Megamorphs book, you get things from different people's perspectives, and, and the first character that introduces us to Megamorphs 3 is Tobias. And he's flying around having a good old fly, and we realize that um some things are different. Uh, he's crushing on Melissa, a girl named Melissa, in his mind, and um, observes that just like any other day, uh, the people of California are out and about with all of their slaves. Huge shock. Smash cut to Jake's point of view. Jake is a young Nazi leader of the Animorphs. Um, We learn a bunch of really interesting things about this alternate timeline that I think we'll just kind of talk about, but the point is... The past has kind of like changed in some way that means things are really different for the Animorphs. Really notably, there's still slavery in this society. It's kind of. Handmaid's Tale-ish. Rachel is nowhere to be seen. She's replaced by Melissa in this timeline. We also learn for the first time that Jake and Rachel are Jewish. And in the middle of this situation, the Droid appears and laughs and suddenly returns all the Animorphs to the versions that we know and love from the rest of the series. And the Animorphs are momentarily horrified at who they were in this alternate timeline, like, how could this have happened? And the droid catches them up and says, well, look, there's this guy, Visser 4, You've never heard of him before, but he found the time matrix and he went back in time and he made things a lot worse. Now, normally, me and Pryak would be fans of this kind of thing, but we talked it over with the Elimist and we were like, can't have mere mortals use the time matrix. Huge mistake. Let's get that time matrix back and stop Visor 4. So the deal is, we're going to let you Animorphs go and fix time. But in return, Kryak is going to kill one of you. And the Animorphs are like, this is terrible, but maybe we have to do it to save all of time. And in particular, Marco and Cassie are like, if someone's going to die, we really know that that just means Jake is going to die. So maybe we can like try and save Jake. Because they know that Cryak has a thing up for Jake. So they don't have any time to prepare after agreeing to these conditions. And they are... Attunes to the time matrix so that wherever Visser IV goes throughout time, the Animorphs will shortly follow. And Visser IV targets periods in history that his host knows about that are the greatest, most famous like uh, war conflicts in recent human history. So they start out by visiting the Battle of Agincourt, they visit the moment when washington is crossing the delaware they visit the battle of trafalgar and at each of these battles they witness the horrors of war the horrors of war in kind of a mundane historical way and not at all having to do with fighting aliens they get closer and closer each time to stopping visor 4 but he always manages to get to the time matrix and escape While they are crossing the Delaware, Washington and his men are gunned down uh, because Visser 4 has let the Hessians know what their plan is, and um, they basically stop uh, the revolution in its tracks, changing history, and also killing Jake with a bullet to the head. Uh, This is very traumatic to the Animorphs. You basically get each of their perspectives, grieving the loss of Jake, as they continue to work throughout time, Rachel is blown to pieces in the Battle of Trafalgar by a cannonball, uh, and they all end up in Princeton in the 30s, where they have a chance to try and figure out what's happened to history. Turns out things have gone real bad. The British lost the Battle of Trafalgar. Washington was killed crossing the Delaware. History has changed in a lot of ways that don't really make sense, to the point where uh, Visser 4 can't even keep track of what is going on. The world of Princeton in the 30s is worse than it was. Cassie has to confront a Nazi who's very upset at finding a black girl in Princeton at Princeton in the 30s. And on the bright side, Rachel is not actually dead. Turns out that once Kryak collected the bounty on Jake's head, uh, the rest of the Animorphs became invulnerable. And with a little bit more... Confidence uh, in their abilities. Uh, they realize... So the mission until now had been assassinate Visor 4. They realize now history is so messed up. Not only are they going to have to take out Visor 4, they're going to have to get the time matrix and maybe with the time matrix, go back and somehow fix history and even save Jake. So they time travel one final time to the invasion of Normandy, uh, D-Day, and... Things are really different in a lot of ways, but D-Day is just as horrifying for the soldiers on the ground. The Animorphs discover that Visser IV has been uh, working with the Nazis, or maybe he hasn't been working with them, and maybe they're not Nazis. There's some kind of German-French coalition that didn't exist in any version of history that we know. And while some of the Animorphs are focused on making sure that The British and the Americans, even though there aren't really Americans in this timeline, win the war. Cassie and Tobias are able to secure the time matrix, get the upper hand, and also discover that Hitler in this timeline is just a lowly driver in the ranks of whatever this French-German army is. And so Cassie and Tobias briefly argue about whether they should kill Hitler. Tobias accidentally cuts his throat. <laughs> um, and then Rachel blows up a tank with a hand grenade, which seriously wounds Visser Ford. Uh, the yerk crawls out of the host's head. Marco throws the yerk into a fire. And Cassie talks to the host, who is a, a 25-year-old actor, and says, Wow, I can't believe you guys are just kids. You're real goddamn heroes. And Cassie's like, hey, when did your parents meet? And he's like, oh, God. And the Animorphs use the time matrix themselves uh, to go to the 60s and make it so that the host of Visor 4 is never born, wiping him out of the timeline forever. And thus meaning that none of the events of Mega Marsh 3 ever happened. However, at the end, the endorphs get to keep all of their memories of both the horrible things that they were dealing with and who they were in the alternate timeline at
0: the end. What a nice gift from Cryak. Good summary. So yeah, that,
1: I mean, that's not even like half of it. So much uh. stuff. It's a very plotty book.
0: Yeah, it's uh, it's really intense. So, Jeremy, you mentioned that you you had a minor rant about this one. What what's the biggest part of your rant?
1: N- none of them are major rants. <laughs> Ugh, this is like a <laughs> really? lot. Jeremy.
0: Okay, then let me rant.
1: Yeah, please. No, you Start take it away. Start with Jenny's
0: rant. The way they resolve it doesn't make any sense. <laughs> What okay. a great point, Jenny. <laughs> Should Please we start talk
1: start
0: with the time, time travel that. nonsense? Sure. We'll start with the time travel nonsense. So <laughs> there's this whole thing where their timelines have to be protected in order for any of this to happen. So after Visser 4 goes into the past and like changes a bunch of stuff, you know, they're all these sort of worse versions of themselves. And uh, the droid tells them that, like, you know, Crack and the Elminster okay. have agreed their timelines will be protected while they did all this stuff. And uh, they – so they are still the same people they are. It's not like in Back to the Future where, like, the photograph starts fading or, like, Marty starts getting weaker or whatever. Like, they're they're protected. And so then they they go through all this stuff. History is totally, completely different. And then they go to the point at which Visser 4's human host's parents meet. First of all, <laughs> they're not even keeping Visser 4 from being born, just his host – How much did his host affect what he was planning? (laughs) Could have had a different human host. (laughs) Maybe he wouldn't have gone to Agincourt. We'll get into that. But Agincourt was the one that had the fewest, the littlest impact. They go to where his parents meet in like the 60s, I guess. They're like hippies. San Francisco. um, In San Francisco. And somehow it is the same because apparently it's not just that they and Visor Four were like protected by the time matrix or the Elemist and Cryak or whatever. It's that their timelines were, but everything is their timelines. Mm. That, that doesn't make any sense. There's no way that his parents would have met in the same way that they would have. Like, And also, if... This is one of those time travel things where I'm going to try to articulate it well and probably fail. If this is somehow a protected timeline, but now they're able to alter it... Like, how is it even in the same, like, timeline as all of the stuff, other stuff that happened?
1: I like that Marco calls it out. Yes. He's like, yeah, everything's really different, but the hippies are here. <laughs> guess, guess there have to be hippies.
0: Okay, I wrote some notes on this that might make a little more sense than what I just said. No, so... But there, go on.
2: I, I would like to, put, to point out two things. One is, so Cassie says that their timelines are protected, but that is not what the droid says. What does the droid say? The droid says
1: So this is the droid describing how the <laughs> this is the droid laying his case for how time travel is going to work.
2: Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> Let's see
1: how convinced we are by it. You will be translated back to that point, and then the quanta that make up your atoms will be tuned. Yes, that's a good word for simple minds to comprehend. You'll be fine-tuned at the subatomic level to resonate with the movements of the time matrix as it travels through time. Your own memories and personalities will, of course, be buffered, protected against changes. Resulting in what effect, Axe demanded? Resulting in the effect that, like an echo, you will follow the time matrix, it plucks the cords of time and you reverberate. Brilliantly explained.
0: Eh? <laughs> I buy that. That's a great metaphor,
2: sure.
1: <laughs> no, but so your point, Gray, is that their personalities and memories are yes, the same. Not but like
2: their if they
1: went back and like did other things.
2: Right. Okay. I, I think that okay. if However, that is life.
1: nonsense. Can we just talk about that? If this sure. is how time travel worked, right? Which it should be. And I'll defend that <laughs> later. <laughs> Um, (laughs)
0: I'll try to do a better job
1: of describing my objection. So incredibly dangerous to go into the past, Mm -hmm. yeah, because. It's not about, like, parents meeting, right? Like, that's not, like, a very significant thing to happen. It's, like, about changing the moment of conception for any given individual person. Yeah. And, like, the, more, the further you go back in history, the more likely it is that everybody you meet is either related to no one, so you can do whatever you want. It doesn't really affect time downstream. Or they're related to pretty much everybody Everyone. on Earth. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. So, like, I don't know if, like... Battle of Agincourt, there's, like, it's actually that likely, but, like, probably any survivor of the Battle of Agincourt that they killed, they're killing, like, thousands of people, if not more, in the present day, Mm -hmm, right? So, like, it's totally, that's, like, totally, totally, totally absurd if you take it as, like, Back to the Future style, it's one timeline and you change a thing in the past and it goes into effect and there are no paradoxes, right? So, completely absurd for that reason.
0: I think the thing I was trying to articulate is that it is a paradox. You can maybe cut some of the earlier stuff because I wasn't making a lot of sense.
1: So, yeah, earlier at that time when it didn't happen, we rewound the (laughs) (laughs) timeline. No.
0: If they, as part of this whole time adventure, keep John Berryman's parents from meeting, then none of this happens. And then they never keep John Berryman's parents from meeting. Mm -hmm. It doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And it also doesn't work that John Berryman's timeline is still the same as it was before they completely altered all of history. Because, like Gray said, the timelines of the Animorphs and of Visor 4's host are not being protected, just the memories and personalities. Okay,
1: well, but there are other ways. I totally agree. I totally agree. But like, (laughs) you could also imagine that the series that we have read is like the timeline where John Berryman never exists, and Megamorphs 3 is like, somehow they're shunted into this alternate world, right? So it's like, the place that they end up. Is not really related. So you're
0: arguing alternate universes instead of one timeline that changes.
1: Yes, I think that that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that needs to happen for this time travel to make sense. I don't think that's what the text is saying. That's I not what think, the text is saying. I think it's completely There's no mention of alternate what, universes. Yeah. Would you call them pocket
0: universes? I would not. I would not <laughs> call <laughs> you know them that. <laughs> <you> did. Drink. <laughs> <laughs> yes, the people playing the anamorphology drinking game can drink now. But, okay, so you think that this book seems to be positing one timeline that can be altered. Yeah. But you were saying that's not how it's actually working. The book doesn't understand its own time travel?
1: Oh, yeah, definitely not.
0: Well, the yeah. book's but time I mean, travel does like not hold ways. together. Also, it's
1: inconsistent with time travel in the series that we've seen so far.
0: Yeah, But there? it's mm-hmm. like
1: you use time travel to tell different kinds of stories. Because in when Megamorphs do, it's like we go back to the past and it's like the weight of having to cr- – like. I'm fulfilling my destiny by mm. killing off the Mercora and bringing about the future, where like this kind of time travel is like we can kill Hitler and it doesn't matter type time travel, right? Mm-hmm. because like mm-hmm. it's we're in a totally different version of history versus the time travel in book seven, which is like, oh, the future is bad and how can we prevent it? Time travel. right So like okay, but the they're type of not story in that they're we
0: can kill Hitler and it doesn't matter time travel. They're in we can well, they can kill Hitler and it doesn't matter because so much has already been changed. Like Everything they do has huge effects, and that's why they have to sort of cut off the beginning of all those changes. But you're right that it's not fulfilling their destiny time travel. It's not like we always did this, and therefore it always happened this way. But maybe they always kept it from happening, and therefore it always happened this way.
1: I guess what I was trying to say earlier with, like, this is an alternate universe is kind of more like, well, it was predetermined that John Berriman was never going to exist, right? Mm, But that, like, undermines the themes of the book, which are very much, like, at the end, they're tempted by the power of time travel, Mm -hmm. and they choose to basically say, actually, let's just deal with the weight of history as it exists, which Mm -hmm. is, like, I think is a fun—I think that's the most interesting way to think about time travel, Mm -hmm. is, like, you can change things, but you don't have a lot of control over the consequences of your changes.
2: Mm -hmm. I agree and i actually think so uh there's a couple lines from megamorphs 2 that i think actually support that point and which are thematically repeated in megamorphs 3 so uh in megamorphs 2 they say it's not really up to us to rewrite history did we make it all right or mess it all up and the last thing that cassie says in this one is we didn't make it right but we put it back jake leave it at that we put it all back so the idea being that there is a sort of sense of determinism But also they're asking the question, if you know that these bad things happened and you have the ability to go back and try to change it, is it better to leave it alone knowing that you could mess it up worse Mm -hmm. and all of a sudden it's 1998, California, and there are still slaves or try to right the wrongs that you now have the power to do. And so I do think that that plays really nicely into the ideas of power and determinism and the sort of weight of history and the power of the future that we've been talking about, the way they address it (laughs) is light to say the least. It's -hmm. sort of a like... Let us just kind of note that this is a thing we could talk about and then mm-hmm. not talk about it or think about it or really spend <laughs> any time with the idea of the ramifications of the decisions that we've made, knowing that one small change on a battlefield can change many things, that uh, one small time matrix appearing in the middle of, you know, Hate ashbury in 1967 can change the course of. It, it's really not just this one dude whose life has changed. Especially <laughs> ignore that conveniently. I,
1: think, I mean, what I got out of this is the animals are doing a lot of grappling. Like they don't sit down and have a discussion about history at the end of the book.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, they sort but, of
2: stand around the time matrix and have the discussion in the middle. Well, yeah, of the they have this yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and they do talk about history uh, at the end. There's mm-hmm, a. Right. Um, I like what Rachel says. I really like what yeah. Rachel says. Great,
1: please. So Marco says says, hey, history's never played out. We start messing with the past. We mess with the future. Maybe we like the way things look to us back in our own time, but maybe we've screwed something else up down the line. And Rachel says, we do that every day.
0: Yes. Thank you, Rachel.
1: (laughs) Every time we do anything or do nothing, we change the future. Yeah. this different?
0: And there is this sort of idea that, like, changing the past is worse than changing the present. And it's because we see the changes a lot more. I mean, Mm -hmm. in this hypothetical world where time travel is real, there would be more changes to something you do in 1944 than something you did in, you know, Mm -hmm. 1998. But it is still, I feel like morally the same, like that has Mm -hmm. the same weight, like what you do. Like, you just will have a different perspective on the ramifications.
1: What's morally the same? I I think,
0: you know, or trying to fight the bad guys in 1944, if you can go back there, is like, just as, like, has sort of the same moral weight as trying to fight the bad guys in 1998. It's just that you have an idea of, like, one way that it could end up w- with the stuff in 1944. Mm, okay. Because I feel like, Ted, you were saying this this is stuff intuitive about, like, to me.
1: Because mm-hmm. you were like, we should have wiped out humanity back in Megamorst.
0: And I think
1: it's kind of the same argument. It
0: is the it same, is argument. The same it's argument. It's yeah. the, like, wherever you find yourself in time or wherever you put yourself in time, you have that obligation. Of course, then, if you have a time matrix, do you have the obligation to go through time and right every single wrong? Like, that doesn't actually make any practical sense. So... Then that's the question of like, what, do you just try to do your best with the time that you have? Or do you try to have all the time? Maybe it's just, you know, do a reasonable amount. Or maybe it is history happened the way it did and we have to grapple with that weight. That seemed to be what you were saying, Ted.
1: Yeah. But there's like so much to talk about. we, We could also talk about how this book totally fails to grapple with the weight of history at like another level. Yeah. Right? So like... I don't want to. No, I, I. We'll get into it, but first, I want to defend kind of the what the book does really well
2: uh-huh. before you okay. we
1: complain about it more. So <laughs> this is like the ultimate war as hell animorphs yes. book we've had so far, mm-hmm. even more so than Orcadier Chronicles. And I think that I love it for the same reason that I have really liked Orcadier Chronicles. I think there's problematic stuff that we can talk about later, also. But I love that it brings up. It's basically like they. It takes this view of history that's like, hey, history is the history of, like, these pivotal moments where things mm-hmm. changed. And it's all based around, like, human conflict and, like, a good guys versus bad guys. And the Animorphs are constantly talking about, like, well, what was supposed to happen? Yeah, what was supposed yeah. to happen here and there? And you get there and you're like... Okay, imagine Henry V. Imagine, you know, the monologue that he delivers. Imagine the St. Crispin's Day speech and, like, all of the, like, cultural weight that that carries. And then you go to the Battle of Agincourt, and it's a bunch of, like, gross guys Mm -hmm. in armor that doesn't work that great, just, like, bleeding and dying in the mud. And, like, that's horrible. And you get to know some individual soldiers, and you see them die, and it's really horrible. And, like, whether or not they were supposed to die, it's really bad. And then repeat that at Washington Crossing the Delaware, repeat that at the Battle of Trafalgar, repeat that on D-Day. And it's like this whole idea that, hey, all of these moments are like built up to be these. It's like a really big deal. To us, if not to the animorphs, because they don't have a great grasp on history, which I love. I also love that, by the way,
0: completely realistic, very I accurate.
1: Did not know anything about the Battle of Trafalgar when I read this <laughs> when I was like ten or eleven or whatever, and I was genuinely like, "Did they make like Did they make something up?" Like, I had to go like <laughs> ask like What is what was supposed to happen here?" Because I mean literally nothing, and so I love everything about that. So all that stuff is basically saying like Hey, war is really bad. It's like mm-hmm. you can't come away from this." Not thinking war is hell. And you also, it also does the kind of uh, hand in hand with that is the idea that the people who fight in wars should be valorized and should be, you should like uh, see them as being brave and self sacrificing. And there are a lot of like individual moments of courage from the soldiers throughout history. And like mm-hmm. that's like another thing that, that the book is trying to say. But I really appreciate those themes uh, and how they are presented in the book mm-hmm. did you guys get that out of book? oh
0: heck yes there was yes. a lot i really appreciated the stuff from the animorphs but like wow our battles have been really bad but this is worse and which is interesting because they have had some incredibly brutal battles where their guts have been spilled on the floor and it's just been real bad and maybe it's minimizing a little bit what they've been through for them like for this book to portray them seeing these battles but like like maybe not, because honestly, there like there's not as much death and gore in their battles as and there they, could. They're be
1: not really fighting anything. a total war war. Yeah, like with yeah. Maybe a couple of exceptions where they sort of like escalate things. It's been very yeah. much
2: maybe the battle with
0: Eric against all of the controllers in
2: right. that. Yeah, but even then, so one of the things that I think this book does really well in its, you know, tour of important moments in history is the evolution of weaponry of mass Mm destruction. Because the Animorphs are fighting small hand-to-hand battles (laughs) where they're relying on their morphs, but it is not – they are not fighting in, you know, massed groups of men, in part because we don't really do that as much anymore, but – what's interesting is you can actually see in these time periods the development of weaponry from the Battle of Agincourt where longbows became really important for, mm. you know, in that time period for the first time. And they they see the longbows, right? All of a sudden the, the sky is filled with arrows and a bird cannot get through. And they are birds and it's real horrifying. And it's terrifying, yeah. right? And and so you get that Horror sense of that. Much. Yeah. And then it's muskets at Delaware, right? Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden you went from, okay, well, there are arrows and we can kind of dodge them to like, we do not know where these muskets are going to shoot us and and it's you know now, now we've got gunpowder and then the battle of Trafalgar you see kind of cannons cannon fire it, and the destructive force of gunpowder when it explodes yeah. um, and then you get you sort of what's interesting is that they manage to skirt around the atomic bomb, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like, and then we showed up and Einstein wasn't there. So maybe mm-hmm. is there no atomic bomb in that timeline? Should we keep this timeline? Because that doesn't exist. But then they go to D Day and there's the tanks and the, you know, mass destruction of the Allied ships landing with a prepared access, let's just call it that, force on the beach ready for them. Mm-hmm. So it's just, it's a really interesting view of carnage in war yeah. rather than individual battles. So I do think that you go from getting their traumatic experiences of having these battles over and over again and, and the violence that they're experiencing to a sense of the absolute horror of war on a mass scale. And I think that is done really well.
1: I, I've got a few things. Um, one is that I think it, it follows, it, it kind of breaks out of the usual, like, mass ent- entertainment view of violence mm-hmm. where, like, you know, you take the Marvel movies and the entire fate of the, of like, half of all living beings in the galaxy comes down to fistfights. fights. Over and over again, and (laughs) that's because you can't make what war actually is fun to watch, right? And you can't have these Wonder Woman
0: stops World War One by killing a god of war, yeah, yeah. and just
1: like runs through hails of bullets and leaps buildings and stuff. Like any superhero, like Wonder Woman, needs the ability to just get rid of bullets. Bullets can't be a problem. You need the lightsaber Mm -hmm. to block bullets because nobody wants to watch people shoot at each other, right? And you're like, okay, so this in in some ways it's a problem for the Animorph series. Because it's like, why would Yorks be fighting hand-to-hand ever with these <laughs> yeah, animals? Yeah, they've got, they've got guns. Yeah, they exactly. have got beam weapons. Like They're just, they can't aim, because that's why that's our resistive. They're stormtroopers. So we pulled out this line that's it's on page 209, and I marked it, and then it was referenced just now. It says, war is obscene, the worst thing humans do. But warriors, the individual men are the very best of humanity. That's Rachel, right? Um, Who is... I think it's Rachel.
0: I'm pretty sure it's Rachel. I wrote down that it's Rachel because I was like, this is you know Rachel Uh, valorizing the warrior. It is Rachel
1: in a very... in a narrative voice, yeah. Um, So warriors are the best of humanity, not because they're willing to kill, but because they're willing to risk death to sacrifice themselves for others. What's interesting is I don't think that's what the rest of the book is saying. The book is definitely saying war is obscene, but what's frustrating... So the, the first thing that's frustrating to me reading it is like we have this really cool time travel that Ted's talking about, and yet, even when we've changed everything, things are still in place. Like, they can go to June 1944 and D-Day's there, even though the Nazis aren't, which is like, wait, what? Yeah. <laughs> like, why is Also, is the
0: Animorphs are alive in the alternate timeline, even though history was changed all the way back to Agincourt. I,
1: I have yeah. theories that we can get to. Um, <laughs> but... <laughs> I've headcanon, Um But... We see all this fighting and like even like I think it's really interesting that they like it really comes to a head at D Day. And D Day is like one of the most cut and dried battles in in world history. Like if there's anything we in the twenty first century agree on, it's like the Nazis suck. The Nazis are the worst. But like Agincourt, like (laughs) Do we does, do we have a sense of who's the morally superiors superior side at Agincourt
0: No. But I mean I If don't... you're
1: a Shakespeare buff. Yeah. <laughs> I think that's sure, 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 sure. Which is it's, it's 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 like I'm a not. weird it's like a weird reference for a middle grade series to yeah.
2: make for sure. Because it
1: went way over my head <laughs> yeah. the first time I read it.
2: Which I really want to talk about, but before we get there, can yeah. I just say... So, that's Rachel's view, right? Yeah, that true. it's this sort of warriors and and how brave they are. Can I read you Marco's perspective? Mm, yes, please. Yeah. I wasn't noticing much of that. I was noticing the fact that my brain was about to explode. Too much death and destruction and horror. As bad as my life had been at times as an animorph, I'd seen real hardcore combat now, and it was worse. The men who died in these battles had been like Jake. They would had no chance. Here at Agincourt, back on the Delaware River, or on the beautiful, slow-moving sailing ship, no difference. Men stood up in the face of the enemy and were massacred. Arrows found throats, swords found vulnerable flesh, cannons ripped away limbs, bullets entered organs by neat, round holes, and came out in a shredded mess. Men died never having the chance to resist, to fight, to run, to cry out, to prepare, to wonder. One second they were scared and brave and alive, the next second they were dead."
1: And we get that happening to Jake and to Rachel in this book mm-hmm. to, like, great effect. So the, oh, yeah. Cassie and Marco are like, well, is going to get Jake and we're not going to let him. And I think what you were saying, like, they're always fighting hand to hand. They have these extra bodies. There's always, yeah. there's always time for them to demorph even yeah. when they have their, you know, they've lost limbs or, you know, have their guts spilling out or whatever. <laughs> right. Yeah. And so then... When Jake is killed, he's shot in the head. And His just, own body. Yeah, he just keels over. And it, it's like one moment and it's gone. Yeah. Rachel, at the Battle of Trafalgar in Monkey Morph, is hit by a cannonball. And like, you get, Jake, I think, dies from someone else's perspective. But in Rachel's perspective, you get like a momentary sense of confusion, cuts off mid-sentence, pivot to Tobias seeing her get killed. Yeah. So like, you actually get that moment, brief moment of her death from her own point of view, which is like really,
0: really grim. Her seeing half of the chimp body still clinging to the rigging as she falls was, like, really visceral. Yeah.
2: And the other part of this is Axe and his Mm -hmm. shock and surprise and horror at everything that he's seeing and part of it is what we talked about before right that he is so surprised that humans fight amongst themselves there are other species out in the universe surely you would only fight against them but the thing that really blows his mind in a a bad way is um, the description of the holocaust and so he he says, you know, they, the Nazis under Hitler murdered 6 million Jews, men, women, and children. Obviously, Rachel had misspoken. <laughs> they were an opposing army? No. Like, no, that's not what it was. Jews are a religion or a race, I guess. My dad's Jewish. Mostly the Jews in the Holocaust were Germans and Poles. You know, civilians, normal people. Others, too. Gypsies, gays, handicapped people. They were taken to camps and shot or starved or killed with poison gas. Children killed in their mother's arms. She spoke with no special emphasis, no anger. And Axe is just very confused by this. And he says, I, you know, we're, we're trying, this isn't the place. This isn't the time we're trying to, to intercept the year and save the future. But, It's too much for him. And he says that human warrior would stand against human warrior and kill. That was wrong and foolish and stupid. But that humans, the species I was risking my own life to help, were capable of such a filthy, cowardly thing as the deliberate slaughter of innocence. It's not at all like what he's used to. And then he moves on. But I do think it's really interesting to have that, what we get from Axe, that outsider perspective.
1: Yeah. It's so interesting getting him. So I want to call out. I think Axe is very naive about the Andalites. Yeah, I we, was wondering about that. We could that. talk about that more or not. But, like, he obviously hasn't read the Horpiger Chronicles. Mm-hmm. Just put that out there. Mm-hmm. But I thought it was really interesting that he gets... Like, he has this kind of outsider perspective, but he also has the, like, most extended moment of, like, anonymous soldiers helping each other out. So, like, yeah. at the yeah. he gets, like, buried under a corpse uh, on the beach at Normandy, and then, like, a medic comes over, or not a corpse, someone who is dying, and Axe is like, he seems super gravely injured, but then a medic comes over to try and help him, and then the medic is later shot and dies. And so while Axe is having this reflection on how terrible humans are to each other, he is also witnessing firsthand this person making, you know, a very self-sacrificing move. And also after that bit where Rachel talks about the Holocaust and explains it to Axe, Axe is like, I can't believe you would do this. And Marco's like, yeah, I mean, that's why these other people are here fighting. Like, we also agree, that you know, like, it's not Humanity isn't just the senseless violence, and we don't reflect on it, right? We do the senseless violence, and we are also horrified by it.
2: Although, yeah. as Jeremy points out... It's undercut. <laughs> Cause it's not the Nazis. It's not the Nazis.
1: <laughs> okay, now let's talk about that, because that's... So, Rachel, right... Has Rachel is like she's got like black and white thinking yeah. the entire time, mm-hmm. and she's like, okay, I know about D Day, Nazis bad. I'm gonna blow up a tank full of Nazis, mm-hmm. and she manages. She's like eyes on the prize much longer than anybody else. Like Axe mm-hmm. kills he he kills uh, quote unquote innocent Hessian at when he's crossing the Delaware, and he's never quite the same since. Cassie and Tobias also have struggles with their like individual actions. I don't remember if Marco does as much. They
0: each have one yeah. like serious bad action that they do.
1: Yeah. Does Jake? I mean Not Jake. He sort so he of
0: dies like, early on, right?
1: I mean, like, uh, but, he's but kind each of, of the
0: other five, like, they have a very specific bad thing they each do. <laughs> Which yeah, out when he yeah, Mister Four. Right.
1: Well, right. But Marcus comes. Marcus comes right at the end, right?
0: Most of theirs come in that last battle, except yeah. for Axes.
1: But anyway, so getting back to Rachel, she basically completely loses her cool in a very classic Rachel way. When the few times she does lose her cool, when she realizes that she hasn't been killing Nazis, right? It's like they come into this idea of like, like you were saying earlier, D-Day is the ultimate good warriors versus bad warriors moment in history. Right. Mm-hmm. And for this book to present that and then deconstruct it, I think it's like pretty great. Rachel comes into it being like, we know who the good guys are. Mm-hmm. And then she's like, oh gosh, I don't actually understand anything about what's going on. Actually, it's just that war is hell. Like this is bad. Mm-hmm. This yeah. is really, really bad. This
0: book presents such a complex view of humanity and it never mm-hmm. resolves it. Mm-hmm. Like it presents humanity as this, like, very, like, violent and senseless, but, like, also it has Rachel's, I think Rachel's take on warriors as individually, you know, how does she put it? her um, sort of thing? sacrifice themselves. Warriors are the greatest of humanity or something yeah. like that. Yeah, Rachel's take on warriors as, like, individually, the like, the best of humanity. is mm-hmm. you know, putting it strongly. But I don't think that's actually incompatible with Marco's view. I think it's sort of two angles on the same thing, which is these warriors are great for doing what they do, and it's completely terrible that they're put in this position, and it's senseless, and Axe's thing about people killing each other, and the Holocaust is correct, but then he sees this doctor staying despite the hail of bullets, and... I feel like what this book is doing is undercutting this great battles view of history somewhat in that humans are still humans, and they're still fighting, and they're still killing each other no matter what you change, and they're still doing good things for each other. Like There's no way to cleanse human history of this kind of thing. Mm -hmm. The weird thing, I feel like, is the juxtaposition of the Animorphs' current reality with the Jake the Petty Dictator, We Have Slaves reality. Like, that feels a little bit, not quite black and white, but, like, gray Hmm. and white, at least. Or gray and black, maybe. In a a way that is very 90s. Where, like, their view on history seems to be like, okay, well, if we change history so that bad stuff didn't happen, well, the present might be different. And that would be bad, because the present is great. Yeah. Yeah, Views
1: on racism are also, like... (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, so can we talk about history of war? This is the history of white people fighting each other. Yep. And Mm -hmm. it's... Really problematic.
2: Yeah. I also want to say, it's also, like, the Nazis hadn't come back yet. And yeah. now they're back. Yeah. Like, just to, to tie up. Well, to
1: yeah. It. And that's, we talked about this before. And this is what you were just saying, too, that, like, the 90s are not the end of history. This is yeah. like, D-Day was like, oh, it's the last great thing. Yeah. But democracy <laughs> won. Now the world is great, you know, eventually, exactly. every, as long as D- eventually, eventually everyone will be had democracy, right? right. Cassie like,
0: encounters some racism, but she just figures it's, you know, stupid, weak people and doesn't associate with them. Right. Yeah,
1: and it's, I am, I mean, like I said, I love this book, but the worst thing about the, like, presentation of the alternate reality that shows up at the beginning is that, like, oh, it turns out if you're black or Jewish, it only matters if, like, you know, yeah. the timeline has been altered so that slavery still exists and everything's bad, right? Yeah. It's like, because otherwise it's completely, it's complete tokenization for the rest of the series. It was like, yeah. it's so, so offensive. We find it's, out that Rachel's Jewish only so she can tell us about the Holocaust. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's also, this this idea of pivotal moments in history being so important is, from a historical perspective, it's how we talk about history and it is completely and utterly inaccurate. And one way that I know that is true is these pivotal moments in history involve exactly four nations. <laughs> all of them. All of them. Exiled, <laughs> all of these pivotal moments that they visit involve only four nations. You've got France, England, the U.S., and Germany. Um, Spain was there in
0: Trafalgar, too. So that totally undermines your theory, because five is all the nations there yeah, are, right, right? I mean,
2: Spain didn't even, <laughs> like, we didn't see anything. <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Sorry. Sorry Sorry to interrupt.
0: <laughs> Huge plot
1: hole. Germany doesn't exist anymore after the events of like, 22. <laughs> so, <the> huge <laughs> inconsistency. There must be alternate universes. Maybe
0: yes. Germany only existed in Mr. Forest thing, and the Nazis came from somewhere else in yeah. the Animorphs' actual timeline. Anyway,
1: sorry, anyway. you're making a so,
2: No, my point <laughs> is just that, one, that's super white and very Western, and also focuses on battles as though changing the outcome of a battle could in any way affect the individual choices that go into making most people's daily lives and So you you don't see the effect that any of these decisions have on the vast majority of humans who are alive at any given time. But also... Though
1: they do... I do want to give them credit. I really liked that at Agincourt and on D-Day, you have different moments of, like, and people were going about their lives. Like, Cassie smells the farms and her wolf morph, and they see, like, the peasants in the village, and they're like, oh... Yeah, there's like a bad, A ton of people are dying over there. These yeah. people are just going about their work day. And but they, I think overall... Well, but you're, I, I, you're totally and they so. are
0: conscious of like, crap, sense. any person we kill, we're just wiping out so many people
2: today. Like, right. Well, changes multiply. And the real reason that I wanted to bring that up was mostly just because it also undermines the one of the major themes of the Animorphs thus far, which has been that six ordinary teenagers mm. through the small actions they take every day are contributing to a larger purpose. Maybe it's that the six teenagers are, are the pivotal moment. Like they are the pivotal battles, uh, bright lights and whatever, <laughs> but like, it, which is it's totally fair. It's just that has been one of the things is that they're just six ordinary teenagers who'd rather be at the mall, but mm-hmm. they are rising to the occasion to do what they can. Mm-hmm. And by saying that the real thing that you need to do is to, you know, kill George Washington at Delaware, that that's what's really going to change history. It's like, it, it, it's no, losing a pat ball.
1: Yes, but I think the book successfully undercuts it. Maybe I'm giving it too much credit. But the where they get to by the end, so it starts out like, okay, it starts out with this like, okay, well, they're like, maybe they're like, I don't know, they could be ninth graders at this point. We don't know how much <laughs> time has passed. but. They do not have a great command of what actually happened in nope. history, and neither does Viserfour's host, who is a twenty five year old actor. Um and Visser 4 believes in the importance of these battles, and it is evident to the end or at the beginning that these battles are important and will change human history. And what they learn throughout the book is that actually everything matters, and it's it they don't like they go from being confused about what was supposed to happen to being genuinely confused about what anything means at all. Me so
0: too.
1: <laughs> So I feel like they get they get to this point where they're like they're tr- you know they they sort of dance around okay if we got rid of the atom bomb and the holocaust should we keep slavery open question <laughs> um, you know like they don't really like get into it that's kind of what they're talking about they're like well maybe we can fix all the things and then they're just kind of like actually we should just put it back. It's so too I think, complicated. Yeah, I think you know, and and the other the other part of it that I should say is that as viscer four goes as far back as possible and works his way forward, and of course he does better than he should be able to at getting to like. It doesn't make sense that there's still an invasion of Normandy, like you were saying. But the history gets more and more incoherent, and he's less and less able to direct things as his host would want him to. And history catches him, right? Like the Animorphs don't stop him, the Germans do. Right, 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 right. Yeah, no, exactly, exactly. Mm -hmm. So if it were so easy to manipulate history through just going to a battle and changing one thing and having a predictable outcome then Visser 4 would have been a more sinister villain. But here it's just kind of saying like, oh, if you assume that these battles are the important things, you go back and change stuff, it turns out you had no idea what you were doing, right? So to me, that kind of calls into question the whole the whole idea of what they're fighting
2: with. Yeah, it's I guess it's less, to me, the purpose of it. But I agree, he had no idea what he was doing and his his changes... <sighs> definitely made a difference but to what end it's unclear um it's more that uh it still made our current timeline so materially different yeah in
0: ways that it seems like he was aiming for like he somehow Mm -hmm. was able to affect things so that the u.s was more of a totalitarian dictatorship than it is right and what (laughs)
1: the says that the country formerly known as the United States of America being an authoritarian regime that's like fighting a war in Brazil makes it easier for the Yurk invasion to happen, but doesn't really go in. Like, it's I'm not, not clear why that's it's, true. it's unclear why that is.
0: It's like a conflation of things that allows the Animorphs to have like their goals be the same thing, to mm-hmm. preserve the sort of quote-unquote free United States mm-hmm. and also defeat the Yurks, yeah. which there's no reason those things are related. Yeah.
1: It's American exceptionalism.
0: Yeah. <laughs> And yeah, and to,
1: there put, was a, a lot to of that. put a fine point on it, the heroes, the historical heroes of each battle, are the English or the
2: Americans. Mm-hmm. Yeah, right. Like, mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, so and he's going back. Actually, so I went in and wrote, wrote down what he's trying to do at each battle. Right. Mm-hmm. So, Battle of Agincourt, he's trying to kill King Henry, which will help France against England. In crossing the Delaware, he's trying to kill George Washington, which will help England against the U.S. And the Battle of Trafalgar, I'm not entirely sure what the story is. He blows Nelson. up Nelson's Nelson boat. died in the Battle of Trafalgar. <laughs> 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 what are you doing,
0: buddy? Maybe he's trying to kill Nelson before he can, like, finish directing the battle. I don't know. I mean, I feel like the plan was already in place. They're it's on boats. They're not, like, talking the You can make again. out with Hardy and have a tragic story
1: that inspires <laughs> generations of people throughout history. Fair,
2: fair. But, like, that was a little bit yeah, that is evil. You're right. So, again, he's kind of pro-France, anti-England. <laughs> And then mush for the rest. of Well, then
0: he wants happening. to, I guess, kill Einstein so that he can't help the U.S. He wants to kill
1: Einstein in the thirties. The bomb, in, You <laughs> it know, I earlier. I, I was I was thinking about looking that up, but I was like, it, it's probably not that well thought through. Well, isn't he MC in like 1905 or something? It's like <laughs> it's like like Einstein wins a Nobel Prize for Brownian motion. But it's in like, like why does <laughs> Einstein even exist at this point? Like he yeah. doesn't. Oh, yeah, he definitely
0: shouldn't exist. Like not, yeah.
1: Why does Princeton also? Okay, why does exist? We just exist? talk about so how. You fix the plot holes. So, like, what if <laughs> we know it's this, like, Cartesian dualism universe? So maybe there is a strict sequence of consciousnesses that gets, like, put into people so that, like, no matter how much Whoa. you change the timeline, a Jake will exist mm. somewhere. Mm-hmm. Right, like, but will sure. he be
0: named Jake?
1: He'll I be named Melissa. I don't know, Debbie. I mean, it's a really bad theory. <laughs> Wait, so
0: Tobias and Jake are together <laughs> in this alternate universe? Hell
1: yes. Um, Whoa. So there's a few of there's a few of these plot holes that really bother me, but I've got a solution. So yes, one, the you. thing that really okay. bothers me is, is a much more minor version of the paradox that you named at the beginning, mm-hmm. which is this whole Agent thing, where he's like, I need to shut up this dude in my head. If he stops So he, like, I can't fight. Find... You have to explain that, because yes. we haven't so, explained it yet. Yeah, so he's so he being Mr. Four can't stand his host body, John Berryman, because he's this actor and he's just reciting all of Henry V to him <laughs> ad nauseum. <laughs> all the time. He's the like, so I brilliant. I really hope that Allen is doing this to Mr. Oh, yeah, I hope
0: so many hosts are doing yes. this. Just like getting annoying songs stuck in their head, just singing yes. them all the time. Baby Shark 24-7.
1: <laughs> Go net Um <laughs> And he can't find Shakespeare, which is actually kind of hilarious. Anyway. That is hilarious. That was so That's good. Great. I love that. That's great.
0: Does that mean that Shakespeare didn't really write Shakespeare? Is that what we're getting I, out I of this? I think so. Wow. Okay. Like, it's canon.
1: <laughs> Applegate, Applegate is just so much ahead of the no, time. No, this is good. So right, of. Shakespeare fake, Moses real. We're yes. learning a lot about yes. history. Yeah.
0: We can rewrite the history books and the zoology. We can have Drew
1: Corner later in this episode. Um, that's why I assume that's why I'm on the show. Um, so <laughs> the thing with the Shakespeare is like, uh, what what is the the timeline thing that allows Shake the like Henry V to not exist, but for Berryman to still remember to not yeah. Like, Oh yeah. Visser 4 it's... does not understand time. Yeah, that, that, that's my <laughs> point. Visser 4... Wait, Visser 4 is a terrible villain. <laughs> just basically a plot device throughout this oh, whole we can, thing. We can talk about what Visser 4 should have done. I hate Visser 4.
0: What should viscer 4 have done?
1: Oh, I have lists. Um,
0: Ooh, let's hear the list. Well, so
1: I think I think what he's trying to do is he's trying to centralize human government as much as possible so that okay. you have to invest the fewest people needed mm-hmm. to take control. Why
0: is he trying to help viscer 3's invasion? Well, he wants to
1: replace viscer 3, right? Oh, that was okay. totally unclear... Why
0: didn't he just kill Visser 3? <laughs>
1: <laughs> sorry, but that was a very confused okay, gesture. So most, most gesture. <laughs> of the time,
0: they shouldn't kill Viscer 3. Like the Anor should not kill Viscer 3, but John Berryman should kill Viscer 3 or Viscer 4 should kill Viscer 3.
1: Why why is it, why is Viscer 4's plan for dominance in the universe just like change a few things historically on earth? <laughs> <laughs> why not? I don't know. Extract more from the Andalites. There's a right, lot of right, things. Right, Okay, so I've, I've I've made this Yeah, why doesn't he go back episodes.
0: and fix Lyra? No, sorry, oh, this, sure. is, this is
1: Yeah, a direction. <laughs> Obviously, Viscer 4 is this whole thing is like a more Cryak mind games, right?
0: Mm. It doesn't that's make any head sense
1: heads. that Visser Four would do these things or that a Yurk would do these Did things. Did
0: he just do this to undermine the Animorphs?
1: But well, he... I think the whole thing is just Cryak Illimis like, mind games. Yes. yes. And that's why the whole first episode is so ludicrous.
0: Yeah, because okay.
1: Like, nothing, they don't None of like that used to happen. They just need to give the Animorphs this experience. Like you oh, said, no. you know, first of all, Cryak makes them, like, basically puts this, like, bargain in front of them that it's like, one of you must die. And uh-huh. then there's a series of events that forces each of the anamorphs to make, like, a terrible decision yep. that's going to be haunting them. And then yep. they get to keep their memories at the end. Right? So, like... You know, It's an incredible attempt to like, turn axe on humanity, right?
0: Oh, yeah, that too. And just give them even more horror of war. Grey looks skeptical.
1: Experience of I, I don't like it from a narrative point of view. I much prefer the like... Do you
0: like how it is from a narrative point of view? <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> because,
1: okay, so I, I think I said this before, but I'll say it again. This is my favorite use of time travel in the Animorphs because it's one where like, your decisions matter and are not predetermined. Uh-huh. And as absurd as it is, I like the slow realization of how little they understand and how little control yeah, they have I over like that. it. And yeah. I like the bit at the end where Cassie says, like, at the end, the best thing that we could do is to put it back. Mm-hmm. And I think that kind of goes to maybe without, without totally earning it. It gets to what you were saying, Jenny, which is like, if you're here today, you fight the fight that you're fighting today. Like, it's not mm-hmm. about going back and correcting things mm-hmm. and trying to optimize, right? You accept what has been, you learn from it, and you your decisions today matter, right?
0: Wow, that sounds so much better
2: than when I said that. I'm not sure I even said exactly that, but I like it, so I'm going to take credit. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's basically all things are ready if our minds be so, just from Henry V. <laughs> I see.
1: Yeah, So I, Shakespeare wrote this, is what you're telling me.
2: <laughs> yes, and you can tell because because it's ludicrous.
1: <laughs> I think this is the, the, the chance of, like, the listener to the show getting to bring something up.
2: Because mm-hmm. one
1: thing that you guys come back to over and over again in this is calling out how little time the Animorphs spend thinking about the fact that they're killing innocent people.
2: Mm-hmm. Cool. The, yeah, I have more notes about that in this. Yeah, but
1: yeah, this is where they cross the line forever. Like, they cross the line forever, but also, like, the book grapples with it so much Do more. They? Uh-huh.
2: Do they cross the
0: line forever in this? Yeah. Do they kill in cold blood? Yeah,
1: Ax, the, executes that axe beheads a Hessian soldier who is not involved at all in a conflict that they need to be involved in and has like okay. done nothing bad to them. He's, There's a couple. Yeah, more. They're in
2: battle. I don't. This is also Jenny. So Jenny, Tobias
1: kills a man who looks like Hitler. <laughs> he kills a fifty year old man who looks like Hitler. No, no. I think For Tobias kills reasons. actual Hitler, Hitler. It's either. just not. Just, just why? Anyway. <laughs>
2: I'm encouraging everyone to listen to the John Mulaney thing about <laughs> killing Hitler because that's all I could think about. It was so for, like, relevant. Most of this book, Marco yeah.
1: kills Mr. Four for no reason.
2: Yeah, no, Marco kills Mr. Four. <laughs> no. Yeah. yeah I'm- Kill Mr. Ford, kill him faster,
0: and stop being a not wuss innocent. about <laughs> it. <laughs> not Cassie innocent. removes a man from existence for no Cassie reason. Does that, yeah. How is that
1: not crossing a moral you line? You know
0: what they already did, though? They already sent a comet to destroy an entire civilization. Um, so I Time don't... travel was
1: different then. That was predestination. <laughs> Actually, no. Tobias did genocide. It's yeah, pretty bad. Yeah.
2: I'm not really is sure they the crossed new lines here.
0: To do genocide? I, I
2: really don't think that... So, this was described as like each of them does a thing that is bad. Yeah. But I think what actually happens is each of them does a thing that they think is very bad, but uh, in actuality is A, eh, fine in most cases, <laughs> and B, uh, not. All worse Than what they do In every single book And then no. Yeah no, Don't no, talk no, no. Okay, it. It's worse I didn't actually think It was worse
0: Than what they do In every single book I mean it's no a, worse. The Cassie thing Is new and different But like We could argue That is worse Remind me what The Cassie thing Where Cassie is. decides To keep John Berryman From being born Uh-oh. Even though He's not the one Who did the stuff It was his year it is the solution.
1: I mean in the book. book it's so the solution, right? I, I don't I'm not I'm not sure I'm gonna be able to articulate this very well, but what they're doing day in and day out is like it's their fight and they're fighting for an actual purpose. Right each battle that they are in is mostly like advancing the war effort, trying to it's like they're fighting in self defense, they're trying to they're trying to complete a specific objective, and they are haunted by like, oh, should I have killed that guy when I didn't have to? Oh, this was pointless and yet there was so much carnage right, all that kind of stuff. But they're trying to save humanity from the Yerks right?
0: Well, they're this... sort of doing that here too. Uh,
1: trying to save of... humanity from
0: the Yerks in a confused way. Where they don't really understand sort what's going of. on very but,
1: well. But as it goes on, right, from the moment that Jake is killed mm-hmm. and they lose that kind of... Jake is kind of the one who's like, our mission is to assassinate Visser Four. First of all, having an assassination mission feels like it's crossing a line for the Animorphs or like it's mm-hmm. a new kind mm-hmm. of thing, even though it's this weird time travel type assassination thing. But when Jake is taken out, suddenly the Animorphs are making these calls on their own and they're all doing things that don't really matter. Tobias and Marco and Cassie all swear vengeance for personal reasons. Mm-hmm. Now they want to kill Visser 4 because Jake died. It's not because of some larger war effort thing. That mm-hmm. um, You have the bit where Rachel is like, I'm just going to blow up some Nazis because I know Nazis are bad. Wait, Nazis don't exist in this timeline. What have I been doing? Axe kills a Hessian soldier because I, Rachel told him to, even though he's kind of horrified by it in the moment. Right? Like, all of those things are they without the context of you know them fighting as a unit they're doing worse stuff that's that's why it feels worse to me and like because nothing matters because there are no consequences you can argue from a consequentialist standpoint doesn't matter that's not really how I see it right like Axe is going to have to live with the fact that he killed this guy for no reason Forever. Yeah,
0: I wouldn't argue that exactly, but I do think that, like... He can forgive just himself,
1: right? But he still did. Just
0: because they're in slightly more senseless situations, like, I, I don't really... I think maybe it feels worse without actually being worse, like, morally.
1: Why doesn't it matter?
0: Oh, I didn't say it didn't matter.
1: Okay, so why is <laughs> it...
0: I mean, I think that they just do lots of horrible things all the time. What about
1: the swearing vengeance thing?
0: Yeah, but they don't actually do anything in the name of vengeance. Like, not, like... None of what, none of the decisions they actually take are because they swore vengeance. I thought the Hessian
1: was like, Jake dies, Rachel gets really mad, and she's like, "Go kill him.
0: Is that why? Is that why uh, Axe so. killed the Hessian? Yeah. Oh yeah, because yeah. Okay, that is that worse? Like it wasn't the the fact that like it wasn't their fight. Does that make it worse? I don't know if it it's, does make it. It's worse. It's
1: a retaliatory execution of a guy who, like, it's not like he shot Jake, right? It seems yeah. like fair game that they lost the larger conflict and ambushed Washington. Yeah, right.
0: I don't know that it's an execution. They are in battle. I guess this guy isn't fighting Axe though.
1: I mean, maybe you could argue that in order to save Marco, who's still in the boat, yeah,
0: you need to do as that much is as possible. something that Axe thinks about. Yeah, it didn't seem like Axe was doing it specifically for vengeance. Rachel gave the order for vengeance, though, which is pretty bad. But I, yeah, but
1: like Tobias and Cassie both at some point in their inner monologues are like, I'm going to get him back for what he did to Jake. Like they're not, Yeah,
0: but they were also going to kill him anyway. Like they needed to, that was their entire mission. Yeah. I I don't know. But they all, we also have the thing in 27 where Rachel's like, I'm going to kill this police officer. If everyone else is dead, I'm just going to kill him and die in the process. Like this guy needs to die for killing Cassie. Like this isn't territory that's new for them. That's true. It felt. It's not me. that true. It, yeah. I also feel like but, Axe killing the Hessian was not as. I don't know. I don't think it was an execution. This guy was in battle against people who Axe was like they are. You know, Axe was on the side of sort of in a weird, confused way. Is it? He's yeah, worse no, to I, kill him than to I shoot totally him. I totally see your point. Like, yeah. I feel
1: like it affects Axe and Rachel a lot because we haven't That's totally true. talked about this. It comes down to the end, and they're like, someone needs to kill Visser Four. Mm-hmm. Maybe we could question that premise or whatever, but. They're like, okay, well, Axe, you're going to kill him because he's a Yurk. And Axe is like, actually, because of what I've done, I will not. Oh, well, Rachel, you love killing people. Kill this, Rachel filth, just this Yurk. Rachel says no, yeah. And Rachel's like, I will not. I'm I'm really upset by what I have learned about history, mm-hmm. right? And so Marco's like, fine, I'll take one for the team,
0: mm-hmm. right? Um, Although, interestingly, so, we, so it's not kill Viserfor or let Viserfor live. It's let Viserfor die of Candrona ray starvation, which they talk about is going to be terrible, or give him a quick death, and they choose the quick death. It's not, you can talk about how much it's a revenge killing, how much it's a mercy killing. No, but
1: all I'm trying to say is whether or not it's like crossing a new line for the series or like, should the Animorphs have been dealing with this issue more than they have? Yes, they should have been dealing with this stuff more and compartmentalizing mm -hmm. less. But it feels like for Axe and Rachel, who are Mm -hmm. pretty typical happy warriors as far as Animorphs go, the fact that they can't bring themselves to step on the slug at the end feels like it's meant to
2: you're be you're right be the they point. feel it in a different way yeah. yeah yeah but I and I guess this is I'm always the one who kind of argues about this because I just find it so deeply weird and this is another point that where, you're being
1: so precious about like, killing people or not
2: yeah and and that you're being so precious about specific instances and not about your total death tally right mm-hmm. so axe is when he kills the hessian he's in the middle of the battle someone is pulling a gun on him and aiming a gun at Ray Rachel and Marco out in the river, right? He is in the middle of a battle and he kills a Hessian. right? Okay. D- g- great. The guy had a gun. He was putting a gun at you. He killed guy. I- I'm not saying that like murder is good. What I am saying is it is very weird to me that that is sticks with him so much. I'm not going to say the salty thing I said about like Cassie in the last book, but I have the <laughs> exact same thought of like why I really, I find it an, an odd button for them to continue to come back to of like, Okay, well we finally met the one person that we're sad we killed. Mm-hmm. Kill a lot of people. And in in particular, I like my note about in the whole Yerk scene was just, hey, you guys, are you kidding me? It is that you have a single Yerk mm-hmm. at your mercy who has been responsible for the death of your friend and leader, and a whole bunch of other deaths, very purposefully. And you're gonna like just not worry about, but they're holding him. a
0: helpless creature in their hand. F-
2: him He's is not helpless. <laughs> what are you talking okay.
0: about? He is helpless in his current form. And yeah. if human emotions and if human morality was like devoid of emotions, we would be very different creatures than we are. And they need, they need one thing they're hair, like- resisting
2: is like letting the emotionality be stripped from. And that's and that's fine, and it's a good point. And Axe Light lampshades that right with the leg. Rachel may be able to like step back and not have emotions about this, but I think that's weird. But it, I really don't understand why they are so precious about not killing the Yerks. The Yerks are causing untold trauma, they torture, and They that jacuzzi full of They weren't precious about it at all. And I really think
0: but
1: that they <laughs> wouldn't. Jake wouldn't do that again. No, I don't think he would That's probably true, again.
0: actually. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I do think the thing where they keep zeroing in on, like, I feel bad about this particular death, I think I see very differently than you do, Gray, because I see it as, like, this is one moment where it hits them really hard. They it have like they have to do this all the time, and they're trying to protect themselves against it so they can keep doing their jobs. And sometimes something breaks through, and then they and they feel it more strongly, and they can't block that one out. It's not that they're saying the others don't matter. They're trying to protect themselves against it, and they can't do it totally. And these are specific illustrations yeah, of that.
2: And that's a really it's a very good and very fair point, right? And when one of my favorite bandifies, the hitter has this line about someone asks him, do you know how many people you've killed? Tell me the number. And he says, do you want to know their names or how many family members they had? How many of them had kids? I don't have to count. I know every one of them. Mm -hmm. Right. And that's the, what I'm looking for here. I'm looking Hmm. for either an emotional depth that says these hork have names. They have families. They are being tortured by the yerk in their brains and they have a right to live as much as I do mm-hmm. and I am doing this battle, I am I am fighting this war with a sense of how awful it is for them as well as for me and that we are all trapped in this, in this place, and this would be a perfect book to talk about it, right? Mm-hmm. We are, all of the people in these battles, most of the people in these battles did not necessarily choose to be there. They are not the ones making these pivotal history moments happen, you know, George Washington aside. I feel like that's really in here. The point I'm trying to make is just that it feels weird to me that the way that they seem to talk about it tends to be I don't want to think about it until I guess as you say until the one breaks through but it just feels really weird to me because it means that all the moments when they're not talking about that one hessian or Hork-Bugier or whatever they just that. kind of skate over it in a way that feels really weird to me. It's so funny it doesn't feel weird to me like it feels like there is a little bit of
0: the fact that this this is a middle grade series. They can't like, I don't know if it's that, that it's a middle grade series or it's just that it is a narrative series. Like you know you can't they can't spend the time to like dwell on every single death. Like it would get just impossible to read. It would be unendurable. Like yeah,
1: well, so one alternative they had they haven't invented like a war tribunal system for their enemies, right? Like. It would be easy for them to put into place a thing where it's like, hey, Viscera 4, we hold you responsible for the death of Jake and a bunch of other mm. people, and we hereby think it's okay to kill you, Yeah, and now you're dead, right? I think to Jenny's point, if they were holding these little like sessions at the end of every book and <laughs> killing a bunch of people in cold blood, it'd be a lot harder to sell them <laughs> as a middle-grade series and harder for us to root for them, even though it might be more like coherent or whatever.
2: So I actually just, while you're talking, realized a slightly more articulate way to say this, uh, mm-hmm. which is that I guess the real issue that I'm having is that there are battles that they are participating in. Because it doesn't seem like an appropriate way for them to be fighting this war, to have these mass casualty battles, six of them against 30 hork and they kill all the hork and then don't think about it as opposed to a structure where it is more about maybe there's one hork per book that catches them while they're getting out of the ducts, and they have Mm -hmm. to kill that Mm -hmm. one controller, and then they feel bad about that. Mm -hmm. And instead, you get the one controller that they are thinking about, and then there's just sort of a paragraph where they're like, and then we had a battle, and we killed 30 hork And you're like... (laughs) Why? Right. Why? Well, and,
1: and the flip side, like what you were saying, that original quote was like, I remember, right? We don't see them memorializing the hork or saying yeah. like, hey, let's check in with Toby and say like, look, so here's the latest, you know, these hork are dead. You, we have people who are recently on the inside, so we know who they were. Mm-hmm. Let's like, you know, light a candle. Like they don't, they could also... Ritual, they could they could deal with it in some kind of meaningful way that still allows like I think I think to Jenny's point it would make the slaughter of thirty horkujir less fun for us as readers right to happen in the background or whatever but they could still choose to deal with it occasionally yeah and not just like tokenistic oh you know Cassie killed that one horkujir it was (laughs) aftran's brother and that's the one
0: yeah I I'm gonna push back on this in a few ways. They almost never have a battle where they slaughter 30 horpgeer or even where they slaughter a dozen horpgeer easily. They're usually fighting in horrible circumstances for their lives against maybe the numbers are a little bit out of their favor, but like sometimes it's we were fighting 8 horpgeer and it was the hardest thing in the world like in book 7. Sometimes it's we were fighting way too many horpgeer and then Eric slaughtered them all and it was <laughs> the most brutal thing any of us has ever seen and we're haunted by the nightmares and Eric is actually turning his back on violence because of that. And they're also, I feel like the books are trying really hard to put in all these moments that are doing the thing that you're doing. Maybe they're not doing it well enough. Because I think that like Cassie in book 19, where she's like, and I killed this one Horkbittier, I think like that was kind of the straw that broke the camel's back sort of thing. And also that like trying to bring out single moments like that. It's like Rachel talking about the Holocaust. Like you can't talk about the slaughter of 6 million people with emotion in your voice that is commensurate to the to the violence like there's there is no feeling big enough for that and it's you know and you can maybe talk about the killing of one person in that way like you get the moments like in 27 where Rachel's on the Pemelite ship and she meets the Horkvager's eyes and all of a sudden we were each other, which I think was a weird moment and clumsily done.
2: But I think that's aiming for the thing you're talking about. I think it's really just that it, it tends to be very clumsily done. Yeah. And I'm glad that they're putting those moments in, yeah. but I find them very clumsy and mm-hmm. and therefore less effective yeah. than I really want them to be for a series that is trying to grapple with these big issues. Yeah. Yeah. It's
0: funny that like what I think... They're trying to do to like address the kind of concern you're bringing up is the thing that you're singling out as this is weird. It's funny that like yeah maybe because yeah. it's just not doing it well enough. Yeah, I
2: well, well, mean
1: I brought it bad. up. It's like why did we have to go here to do horror of war? <laughs> war
2: for thirty bucks.
0: Good point. Yeah.
2: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean because you get a fun history lesson about the use of longbows
0: and <laughs> I get to learn about Hessians. So okay, what else do we want to talk about here? So much, I know. Um, I want to talk about the distribution of chapters.
1: I yeah, why there were Kathy? slaves?
0: Why there were slaves? Why there were slaves that weren't racially tied? Like, how did we oh, transition? Because it's,
1: because it's cheap. It's like, how do you establish? How do you establish that like this society is bad? In a twist ending at the end of the first chapter, you yeah. say slaves are back, right? Like, it's. I feel like it's very lazily written.
0: But why was it slavery of like? I guess it was IQ based slavery. Versus like slavery based on race, which is what we had. How did it transition out of right. that? But that it, seems really unlikely but to at, happen.
1: At Princeton, it was still a, a race based yeah. slavery. Well,
0: no, I think although apparently there no, were some different. female students at Princeton, which I was like, where did they come from? It's the '30s. Yep.
1: I had the same. Experience. But like the like you know Jake is some kind of Nazi. They talk about the triple S. Is mm-hmm, the like secret mm-hmm. police? Like yeah. what's it's worse? So subtle reference, right? What's worse than the SS? I guess <laughs> yeah. and another one, right? Like I feel like all of that stuff is not. It's not. Well thought through It's like How can we make it weird And shocking Yeah It was like Dystopia that's
0: completely Like disconnected From the stuff This or four attempts In actual history
1: It it bothered me From a historical standpoint Because it's like If the US had stayed British We would have Not had slavery As long as we did Britain Mm. outlawed slavery A good 60 years Before the United States did
0: Interesting. Okay, yeah, so what would have happened but, in but history but if, if Henry
1: V had died in Agincourt? Oh, well, it's a very different Britain then. <laughs> before the animals.
0: <amorphs.
1: laughs> no, I mean... Yeah, That's sure. totally true. I mean, like, it definitely feels like, oh, the other reason it's lazy is because it's not just slavery is here. Then they double down a page later and it's like, and Cassie has a slave. Yes. Mm-hmm. So I think, again, assuming that it's lazy, it's like, oh, the black girl has a slave. You know, like, let's not make it race based. It's like there's yeah, like a yeah. twist on it. Right. It's like it's really not that well thought through. There's a little bit of interesting tension where, like, Jake – because you get Jake's perspective, and he's trying to, like, mind-read Cassie and say, like, is she sympathetic to the slaves? Which is, like, a whole thing. Jake does not come off well in his Yeah, I kind
0: of want to talk about the characters in that (laughs) dystopia. Jake is the worst. And Cassie apparently is, like, secretly, like, a dissenting. you know, secretly has dissenting views and thinks it's terrible that – we we're making war on Brazil and that, you know, she is very kind to her slave. And uh, Cassie and Jake are clearly not together. And Cassie is just way, 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 way better than Jake. And uh, You don't think they're together? Oh, I didn't think they were together in this. Do you think they were together in that?
1: I don't know. I just kind of assumed they were.
0: Yeah, I, it didn't seem like it to me. <laughs> um, also, Tobias was with Melissa. <laughs>
1: Okay, I know I'm easy, <laughs> but I ship it. It's amazing. <laughs> no, do, get out. Do you? <laughs> I love it so much. I love it so much. No,
0: okay. why? But Melissa and Rachel are completely different. Like, Wait, We don't
1: know anything about <laughs> Melissa. Well, yes, okay. we know some right. stuff about
0: Melissa Chapman, if we assume it's Melissa Chapman, which of course it is, because it's conservation of characters. We went halfway across the galaxy, met a human, and it was Chapman. Like, I mean, this is going to be Melissa Chapman. No, no, no. I'm yes. saying
1: we don't know what she's like. From Jake's this. misogynistic point of view, she, like, doesn't understand humor or whatever. But mm-hmm. Tobias likes her.
2: Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean... She's yes. clearly
1: survived as long as Rachel has, right?
0: <laughs> oh, in the like, in the Animorphs? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah.
1: What must it be like to be an Animorph whose father is one of the most important controllers Whoa. in the... And the thing, right? There's like a whole. There's a lot of emotional depth and complexity to Melissa's character that could have. That been we,
0: never out, that we never get that. We never get. That's true.
1: Also, Tobias now has to live with the fact that he had feelings for Melissa. Like, is that <gasps> ever
0: going to come off? Oh man, it's never going to come. Up. <laughs> I mean, this is, is also that... another
1: great middle grade thing. Is like he talks about Melissa, and he's like, "Oh, I want to like hold her hand, kiss her, maybe." Dot Got dot dot. dot.
0: dot. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, is that any harder to live with than Cassie knowing what Jake was like in that world and Jake knowing what he himself or Jake was like? What Jake
1: was like. That's the yeah. other th- reason why I think it's a Cryak play, because it's yeah. like, hey, Jake, yeah. let me just make you think that in a different world, you could have been a Nazi. <laughs> so who wins the play? Because, like, that one life thing is so BS. It's like, cracks like, I'm going to take one life, and it just means that Jake dies for, like... A few hours of their time and then, oh, Mm -hmm. he's back because we ended the whole thing. Or does he just, like, reap enormous psychological rewards? I like Like the Mind games thing. You know, it undermines the whole rest of the book. But
0: I really liked the way they all reacted to that idea of, like, okay, and the cost is going to be one life. Because Jake accepted it right away. And before I realized, there's this thing later where Cassie's like, Jake assumes it's going to be him. I was thinking like, okay, Jake as the leader has already internalized the idea that like every battle we go into, someone might die. In this case, he knows that someone's going to die, but he's more able to take that on board. Whereas like Marco clearly had not internalized that idea, but also he knows that it seems like Cassie assumes and Marco also assumes that Jake knows it's going to be him, which makes sense. Craig hates him the most. Also, it's sort of like if he's going to give up anyone's life, it's going to be his own. That's very Jake, mm-hmm. and uh, I wonder if he just couldn't stand being the petty dictator and had to. Uh, <laughs> I know, yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, he's like, if I have to die, or if I have to become this like person that I was in this dystopian reality, I'm going to die. Yeah. Can we talk about how Cassie and Marco react to that? Because mm-hmm. it's super great. You guys, it's...
2: I know that I was joking. I, I was joking when I mentioned that I want them to be
0: an OT3, <laughs> but nope. I had done. already read these like first few chapters when you were talking about that in our mailbag, and I was like,
2: yes. This is what I think. I think it's an OT3 because they. I, I really loved their whole interaction about this. They understand. Both of them understand what Jake is doing. They both know they can't stop him. So their eyes meet. And she says, not for the first time I realized how smart Marco is underneath all the jokes. He knew we were going to do it. He knew his best friend's life might be the price we paid. He also knew we couldn't go into this hopeless battle thinking about nothing but that single terrible fact. So he's, like, making jokes. Mm -hmm. And the two of them are like, Craig is not going to get him. We've got this. Yes, they're, like, solid in that. that. Yeah, it's so
0: cute. And I also, I love that Marco, like, we're in Cassie's head at this point, and she's like, Marco's also seen this, and Marco's take on it is, okay, then we can't do it. Whereas Cassie's take on it is, okay, but we still have to do it. Mm -hmm. And that's very, like, says a lot about the two of them. Yeah.
1: But I also love that the way Marco, it it is another unanimous decision Marco's the last to relent, but the way he does Mm -hmm. it is he does a bit where he's like, (laughs) why don't we just watch TV? setting up Jake to say actually turns out there aren't any channels in this dystopia and Marco's like well then we gotta go kill Mr. Four (laughs)
0: that's great yeah and then Marco and Cassie take take each other's hands and vow not to let Jake die and it's definitely an OT3 I am there for it Uh, I'm I'm convinced now wait yeah listeners
1: (laughs) is Cassie, Marco, Jake, OT3 a thing in fandom or did we invent it?
0: it should be it has to be like it is there
2: it must there's so much fodder for it do we have any
1: more to say about the stupid alternate reality in the beginning? (laughs)
2: This <laughs> was stupid and I didn't like it. Um I do, <laughs> so I do wanna read. The Drode this is like easily headable, so whatever. Uh, the Yorks are within months of consolidating control, says the Drode. The lack of freedom among humans has made their conquest ever so much easier. Your few books, your two radio stations, your single television channel are all censored. Your technology is 50 years behind where it should be. Poverty is widespread. Curable diseases run rampant. Some women are forced to breed to repopulate the dominant white race, while at the same time in the major cities, the poor and homeless are rounded up and shot. Rachel interrupts to ask to punch him very reasonably. So there are some sort of, you know, handmaid's tale elements here. Uh, but also, who let them read 1984 and then decide to do that? Just stop giving Apple Grant books. They just give bad <laughs> ideas and They break this and then... It's
1: also pretty, like, 2019, what you just read.
2: It's not not 2019, except so. we do have more channels. I have things I want to talk about with Barryman. <laughs>
0: okay. Yeah. Wait. While we're talking about the Anwar's characters, There's can some... we talk about Rachel and Tobias? Big moment.
2: Oh, yes, <laughs> yes How yes, we yes, not yes. mention
1: this. No, okay. We need
2: talk about this yet. <laughs>
1: Rachel knows that it's the Delaware River, and so does Tobias, and they're really competitive about who knows more about
0: <laughs> history. <laughs> Wait, I did not pick up on that dynamic. Uh-huh. Tell me more. Oh, it's
1: it's so great because they're all so confused about what's going on. They're like, "What's uh-huh. a Hessian?" Like, <laughs> wait, is that George Washington? He doesn't really look like George Washington, but they're <laughs> calling him General Washington. And then, by Rachel, the way,
0: there was a like a, the general is coming or something, and I was like, "Here comes, comes the, the
1: general."
2: general.
1: <laughs> oh wait, while we're talking about that. Jenny, we've been talking for a long time about what our Animorphs musical could be. Oh, I think we should do a Hamilton-inspired yeah. musical adaptation of Megamorphs 3 as our Animorphs
0: musical. Amazing. Yeah, you're right. It'll just be, as you, you were telling me this earlier, songs about how the kids don't know anything about history. <laughs> just the songs would be really confused.
2: Can we add how some does point?
1: an a bird boy?
2: <laughs> as long as one of the songs centers around the phrase... George National Daddy. National Uh, Daddy! (laughs)
0: Rachel! Really dropping the epithets there. (laughs) I know it didn't mean that in the 90s, but I laughed so hard. Are we sure it didn't mean that in the 90s? Oh, man. National Daddy. (laughs) George Washington National Daddy. I just, I can't. You know what I'm really sad about? That we can't title our episode that because it's a quote from the book.
2: But it's just... (laughs) National Daddy. <laughs> no, the and the the chorus should be something about like National Daddy, National daddy
1: <laughs> So anyway, be very
0: funny.
2: Yeah. Sorry, you were talking about Rachel and
0: Tobias being well, competitive um, about knowing about. Oh this yeah. Trade. So
1: anyway, Rachel like swoops in and she's like, obviously, this is like the Delaware River, you know, like, <laughs> and saying all this stuff. And they, whenever they time travel, they get separated again mm-hmm, for like mm-hmm. stupid plot reasons. You get there, like, mm-hmm. way or narrative reasons. It doesn't make any yeah. sense. Um, Their
0: they're quanta are not properly attuned or whatever. Yeah.
1: But then Tobias comes like swooping in and he's basically like, hey, I know where we are. You know, like this is Washington. Is, I just saw George Washington get into a boat. This is the Delaware River. Rachel's like, I know that. And they're like going <laughs> back and forth.
0: Marco's like, you can recognize him? And he's like, of course.
1: Yeah. Let me see if I can find, if I have the quote. Yeah.
0: It was really striking and not exactly something that I expected from Tobias, how completely off the rails he went every time Rachel was in serious danger. Yeah. Because, I mean, this was one of the cases where they aren't fighting the year. So, of course, they do way worse than they normally do. Like Battle of Agincourt, where Marco and Rachel and Cassie end up in this totally stupid situation where they're in the middle of the battle and, like, being stepped on in bird morph.
2: How are they trying to get out (laughs) of that battle, Jenny?
0: (laughs) Uh do you mean the thing where Tobias morphs Harkvajir and rides in on Jake morph as a horse and no, rescues them? No, that's
2: in the... That, yes, I meant specifically, how are Cassie, Rachel, and... Is it Marco? It's Marco. Cassie, Rachel, and Marco trying to get out of the battle. I, I, how are I'm they? I just want like you to picture horse. this because it is hilarious. <laughs> Cassie, so the, oh, two, yeah, okay. the two birds have been taken down by arrows. Uh-huh. And they're about to get crushed under the weight of all of these soldiers. And so Cassie, in her horse morph, comes galloping across the battlefield to save them. But she is a horse, and they are birds. So her solution to this problem is, jump up and grab my legs. And so somehow there is a horse galloping through this battlefield with an an osprey and an eagle, a bald eagle, <laughs> which has a six-foot wingspan and probably weighs about as much as a horse, licking their legs as she tries to get out of the battle. It is... But of course, she's a horse in a battle. She's not going to make it. What I
1: love about this is that Rachel is Cassie's damsel for once.
0: It's <gasps> so true.
1: And then like Cassie gets impaled by a spear and <laughs> falls on top of the birds, protecting them from being killed in the middle of the battle. And Cassie's thinking... You know, I might bleed to death, but if I demorph, then Rachel and Tobias might get crushed.
0: Oh, she's wonderful. But yeah, Tobias, like, loses it. He, um, his axe is like, oh, I found Visser 4. And Tobias is like, forget Visser 4. Rachel's down there. And axe is like, um, she can't demorph. That would be dumb. And Tobias is like, shut up. This can't happen. Elements, Cryak, get us out of here. Get us out of here. Like, multiple times in this book, he's like, I I quit. Like, we quit. We Mm want to get out.
2: And, yeah, he... Sorry, I'm trying to remember if it also happens later. Uh, well, it, it happens slightly before that, too, uh, when he, he snatches the arrow out of the air that's going oh, yeah. towards Henry V. Mm-hmm. And uh, so Visser Four cool. recognizes him. And he's uh, so he says, um, Jay, he, he's made us, is how he puts <laughs> it. Um, he's made us <laughs> I think it's occurred to him Normal hawks don't go around Snatching arrows out of midair Now I'm going after Rachel And the others These are four is your problem now Yeah
1: Also gets one arrow Leaves
2: Yeah <laughs> Well <laughs> he almost dead, doesn't but... even
0: get that arrow Because he's like No I have to help Rachel I don't care about the mission I don't know if this is something We've seen Like certainly not as strongly Rachel's usually not in quite This much trouble And I guess Tobias Isn't in a position to Observe it like this What's but...
1: interesting is that After he thinks Rachel's dead He's like way more On top of everything
0: Hmm. Like when they show I, up
1: cities, I think like, Tobias. Okay, and they get Tobias is a to loose cannon in this book. Yeah. <laughs> he. So first of all, perpetrator of the worst time travel atrocity previous to this book.
0: Yep. And yep. then
1: he <laughs> he kills Hitler. Right. He kills. <laughs> right.
0: He, yes. He
1: kills which <laughs> we're all so precious about all world Hitler, which we could talk about. Should we just talk about it briefly? Sure. I don't think you can hold Alt World Hitler accountable. No, for that's Cassie's the point. Yeah. Of other of of our World Hitler. Right. I
0: agree. Right. No, you can't.
1: So yeah, Hitler is like, like a Hitler.
0: driver for yeah. He had to be there so they could decide whether or not to kill Hitler.
2: Also, yeah, I, I, again, just to reiterate John Mulaney's point: How do you know that's just that was a very popular mustache <laughs> at that time?
0: <laughs> Tobias recognized Washington. He can recognize Hitler. That's what it was.
1: it was. So Rachel knows it's the Delaware River, but nobody nobody has recognized George Washington yet. Uh-huh. And Tobias swoops in and he's like, "Oh, hey, oh Washington!" Hey. No, he's like, "Oh, it's the man! It's the man!" and Rachel I think she's like you recognized him I demanded like she's very competitive <laughs> about it
0: it's her national daddy
1: <laughs> but so but- you were talking about loose cannon Tobias yeah oh and I think when um we haven't talked about the Princeton scene that much but yeah we should talk about um, that right 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 but he's like Pretty on board for Cassie, like, ripping the face off of the racist That's guy true. that they meet mm-hmm. um, in a way that isn't necessarily Tobias. And I feel mm-hmm. like he doesn't – he never comes around to think from his perspective about how he feels about having killed innocent Hitler. No, yeah. Right? So, like, I feel like I actually don't have a – like, Tobias seems to be doing a lot of – like, he kind of betrays the team in that moment you were talking yeah. about. He doesn't seem to hold himself to account – in the same way that the other animorphs do, that's and like, interesting. normally Tobias is he's
0: he's very thoughtful usually. He's, he's pretty. He's a lot of angst.
1: He has a lot of angst about like the yeah. bird thing, but it's it's weird that he's like kind of going off mission and killing Hitler everywhere and not thinking about it that much.
0: Yeah, that's a good. He point. snaps Cassie out of it though in Princeton.
1: Does he? Yeah, not so. I thought he was like like got to demorph. We're gonna do this. We're gonna get there and there. We don't know if anyone else is coming. We gotta. Oh, he it. saves oh, her. He saves her when she's a dolphin. When she's the dolphin. Yeah. yeah, yeah.
2: yeah. Although I do you really also like that? He's also
1: a pretty cool customer. He's like, um, someone comes is like, what is that? And he's like, that's a dolphin turning into a
0: girl. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Don't worry about it. And then 30 seconds later, she's demorphed. Someone has already said something racist to her, because yep. of course. And she goes, okay, you want to see something white? And starts morphing into the polar bear. Mm-hmm. And Tobias leans back against the wall, yeah. crosses his arms ah, and says, watches. you might want to stand back. Davis is about to have a very bad day. <laughs>
0: Awesome. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> awesome.
2: Super cool. Wait, I just realized, like, the bad guy in
0: that scene, like, the racist guy is named Davis, which yep. is really similar to David. <laughs> anyway.
1: I just, <laughs> I just took it as a Jefferson Davis reference. I was like, yes. Yeah. yeah, no, I didn't I was, think of
0: it until yeah. until Grace said it out loud there. Um, is, but, yeah, so so I feel like. In the summary, we like Ted, you might have said something about like, Princeton is even worse than it was or something like that. And I don't actually like that didn't strike me as not reality. Like that Mm. didn't seem like it had diverged from reality. I guess there were still slaves in the South. We get like references to slaves existing in the South. But like it was like most it was like all white guys. There yeah. were a few girls or like female students, which like I don't think there would have been at Princeton in the 30s. There were not in our reality. I it. <laughs> Yeah, maybe they had a sister college. I don't. 1969 is when Princeton and Coe. Yeah, cool. Maybe there would have been like some like a weird exchange with a sister college. I have no idea, but yeah, and that this guy from the South was incredibly racist, not like overtly so, not at all out of step, certainly not for the 30s. We can talk about how maybe it wouldn't be that weird for the 90s either. Yeah.
1: We can talk about how it's not at all weird that the guys at Princeton have heard of Einstein, but not E equals MC squared.
2: Well, yeah. he didn't no, invent that <laughs> reality
0: There's apparently. still famous. <laughs> yes.
1: But somehow. We, we still keep whirling around the most important part. What? Which is that Tobias kisses Rachel.
0: Yes! <laughs> you're correct! <laughs> Rachel. You so Rachel break? comes back because it turns out none of them can die because that was the deal that the elements made with Kryak. And Rachel like, pops into existence, and Tobias is like, Rachel, you're supposed to be dead. And then he kisses her. And we're not in either of their perspectives, and it's never commented on again, but Tobias we kisses get, He has the
1: next chapter, and he doesn't think about he it. He
0: doesn't think about it. And then later, Rachel is talking to, like, Axe comes up with some plan, and Rachel's like, if I had, like, lips and a mouth, I would kiss you. No reference to this nope. thing where Tobias kissed her. No Marco jokes. No.
2: It's, also, it's such a cute description, too. Like She surprises them, coming up behind them. Rachel Tobias yelped, he and a millisecond later, he had spun around, grabbed her, and kissed her. Then Aww. he held her back at arm's length. You're dead. <laughs> 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 but like, oh, he just like jumps to kiss her. It's so cute. So,
0: Although, <laughs> I think it is notable that I did not remember this. Ooh. Like, I this is not what I want it to be. Like, the Jake Cassie kiss is like very like dramatic and exciting, and this like we're not even any in either of their perspectives. But maybe like, come that's on.
1: because it's not really their first kiss.
0: <gasps> that's
2: my theory. <sighs> yeah. Okay. Maybe.
1: Let the fanfic.
2: Awesome. <laughs> also because happens. of course in later books there are a lot more detailed obviously kissing and cuddling and holding hands. That's like all the later books are. Right? I yeah. assume. Okay. That's, yeah. Because otherwise, I'm I'm pretty much Well, they defeat
0: the Yurks in, like, book 31, and then it's just Rachel and Tobias going on dates for the rest of the series. I'm just
2: saying, this is pretty peak for me, so. (laughs) I really like them. Yeah, I really like them, too. And
0: Tobias has that great line
1: with... (laughs) I think it's at Agincourt when Rachel has started morphing an elephant and is throwing the knights around. <laughs> Tobias and Axe come swooping in and we're like, you know, I was telling X anytime you hear people screaming and then see people running away that's my girl Rachel.
0: <laughs> <laughs> he knows her and he loves her and it's great. <laughs> this is random but uh, apparently Marco has the same shoe size as George Washington and he's like, no Jake, you wouldn't fit his boots. <laughs> Because not your size because Jake's
2: feet are huge and because Marco has very small feet and George Washington was real short so. yeah yeah George Washington was not
0: wait what are you referring <laughs> to why did you bring that up Jake says my feet are freezing and he like why do you bring that up just a random thing
1: it just, <laughs> just saying
0: me. just saying that uh you know, Jake not not tiny, not five two.
1: Huh. I, I have to admit I read that whole section as Marco just not wanting to share the boots.
0: <laughs> <laughs> but I also liked that Marco knows Jake's shoe size and has, mm. you know.
1: Also yeah been that, evaluating that. That whole scene is very funny. It's like right before Jake gets killed, mm. like suddenly. But like Marco's like they're like, Why was George Washington crossing the Delaware? And Marco's like To go hang
0: out with the chicken on the other side. Marco is also in human morph next to Jake. And he's like, he can only mutter (laughs) because the other soldiers are like, who's this crazy person talking to a horse? And none of the other animals could hear his jokes. And he like, he's like, makes a joke. He's like, he's like, Jake, tell it to Rachel. And Jake is like, Marco would like me to pass along a sarcastic remark.
2: (laughs) And you
0: know
1: Marco's like
2: like dying. Rachel's
1: like, Washington? George Washington? And Marco's like, no, Guido Washington.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man. I have a question. Okay. Are they going to go find the time matrix, please? Yeah, so where's the time matrix now? It's back in the construction site, apparently. Yeah. Interesting. Wait,
1: what are they going to do with the time matrix? Prediction corner, Gray.
2: They're going to leave it in the construction site until somebody else finds it, digs it up, and makes it. They're never going to use the time matrix? I mean, I'm sticking with that.
1: What's Elfhanger's secret,
2: Greg? <laughs> so embarrassed, you guys.
0: But yeah, uh, we don't know. Like, do the Animorphs go to the construction site? Like, do they hide the Time Matrix? The same place that we don't know where they've hidden the well, it's, Cube? It's, never, it's been moved. never been moved.
1: No, so the. I but think now
0: it's in the construction site, and at least one person the found Elves it.
1: There. and Kryok reclaim it, right? Like the whole point Did was right? to get it back so that nobody could mess with yeah. it. Is it, it
2: time there. for it to hatch? They're
1: like cleaning up their loose
2: ends. Yeah, but it doesn't say that. What it says is it's back where it was when they where. It, mm. It's back underneath the. Construction site. Waiting for the next time travel book. You start predicting that every <laughs> third book from now. No, yep. no, they never use the That's Time cute. Matrix. <laughs> it's in
1: 37.
2: Yes, we're Everyone, there. everyone
1: dies <laughs> but Rachel, and she's like, all right, I'm going to go use the Time Matrix, morph a giant anteater, and just mess messed up up up. Just do it. amazing.
0: Finally using all these things. This is also completely random, but on the subject of the OT3, Marco and Jake are getting on this boat to cross the Delaware, and Marco says, ah, yes, (laughs) he mutters to Jake, the love boat takes a detour to hell. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Which also like
2: sixties reference again? Yes, and also then he makes that Titanic oh, reference about true. like Leonardo DiCaprio dying yes. in the waters. Yes, no, clearly he and Jake and
0: Cassie, this is going to be a thing. Mm-hmm. I'm really looking forward to it. I thought it was interesting that in this past where they are exaggerating a lot of the problems of the past, and in this series where they have had age inappropriate people hit on Rachel before. They choose a thirteen-year-old on the the ship to uh, be the one who's creeping on Rachel. I'm like, were they just trying to avoid having an adult creep on her in this book, where all these terrible things are happening?
1: I think so. It's weird because they, oh, yeah. I'm they with choose it. to it's just sweet. want to highlight that thirteen-year-olds could be in war in the early nineteenth century. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I do love that moment where when Rachel appears at the Battle of Trafalgar, she's just like standing on top of a ship. Looking like an amazing <laughs> guy, like she always is, right? Yeah. Like of course Rachel's just gonna appear there and be like, hey, and then like they <laughs> were like, What's this girl doing here? And
0: she also has like unnaturally good skin and teeth and mm, hair. Right. You know. And is wearing very few clothes. Yes.
1: Of no, fabrics that will not be at the interfer.
0: So true. So we learn in this book that Rachel and Jake are Jewish. Actually what Rachel says actually Her maybe what both of them is say is that their dads are Jewish. Do we know exactly how they're related? They're cousins cousins through their fathers. Through their fathers, yes. So their fathers are brothers. Yeah. Okay. So does Rachel not think of herself as Jewish? I mean I, I mm. don't know that much about like it goes like, to the mother right yeah. like that's Technically, yes. yeah so is that why I she doesn't think she's jewish like I mean
1: she doesn't, doesn't her mom? Rachel's mom also have a name that's like plausibly jewish Her,
0: name, her mom's name is Naomi I think yeah, yeah. That is so plausibly. Plausibly right but Rachel says my dad is jewish she doesn't say my parents are jewish she doesn't say my family is jewish it's such yes, a weird it statement It is weird What does Jake say he's like he says something about how his dad has like, like a, creative, a yeah. Well, he's exactly. right. He's
1: like he's Jewish but he he works enough for the new Nazis that it doesn't matter. Like that's
2: My dad was it. a certified POE, Patriot of Empire. Blah. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he doesn't
0: really clarify whether it's his dad who's Jewish or his whole family who's Jewish. It's just, it was a weird, like, why are they not
1: this? But you don't claiming think, like, this identity? About, I mean, I, I agree that it's weird that it's they don't think of themselves that way. Yeah. And that's kind of like what I was saying before. It's very tokenistic and upsetting yeah. that it only comes up in this context. But when she introduces the Holocaust, does she introduce it in a way that makes her seem like she identifies more? Or is it is it kind of like generic-y, like... Oh, this was a bad thing that happened.
2: Real generic. It was a bad thing that happened, and it was weird. It, it was... I found a lot of this very uncomfortable, and that was one of the things where I was like... Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's also like, who are the, the Jews in the opposing army? And she's like, no, it's really generalize. Like, my dad, not me. <laughs> no. Although, right. I don't
2: know if I
0: trusted Axe's take on this. Because Rachel's just, like, telling Axe. Mm-hmm. I don't know how good Axe is at reading human emotion. Because I feel mm-hmm. like if you were telling your alien friend about this like, you might just sort of state the facts, and that doesn't, like, you might have a lot of feelings about, like, I don't know, how would she express this to him in a way that would be I don't
1: know. Well, I was just picking up on it's weird that she doesn't say, I'm Jewish.
2: That is weird. if your dad's Jewish, then the
1: Nazis think you're Jewish. Yeah.
2: Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, it is that part, just to go back to what you said earlier, what emotion could possibly be sufficiently intense to encompass the crime she described? Which is fair, but it it does seem very impassive in a way that I think- But she also was um, immediately like, these
0: are Nazis, let's blow them up. And is this after she's done
2: that? No, I mean it is it's the it's same before. chapter where at the end before. she says you go get the time matrix I'm getting Okay. It badly. But
0: the reason, Yeah, I feel the like she has, has she a lot wants of emotion to blow up Nazis
1: here. is because it's the most obvious bad guy that's yeah. ever existed. Right. So it's she not she, personal. she can Do feel, know that she can feel good about doing violence to them no matter what. Are we Rachel knows that it's in? okay to punch a Okay,
0: <laughs> right, that's, how, that's how it came across. Yeah. Yeah. I'm
1: with yeah. Jenny, I, I'm I'm fine with the way that she describes the Holocaust. I just think it's weird that the books wait until the moment that Rachel is talking about the Holocaust to introduce the fact that she has Jewish heritage. Yes, that's just like well, I think. Well, it's I mean, the it same is way, clear
0: actually. If well, I guess if you've been that... obsessively tracking their relatives, it's clear that if Jake's dad is Jewish, so is hers. So maybe everyone hasn't been. <laughs> so we that. learned it
1: hundred pages earlier, yeah. right?
0: Oh, you mean in the series? Yeah, sorry, yes. Sorry, I thought you meant this book.
1: <laughs> no, I meant the series. Yeah. Yes. No, that yeah. is weird. But I mean, so I think that for all intents and purposes, Jake and Rachel are not Jewish characters because it's so tokenistic, and it only comes up for the first time in this book. And like maybe in future books, it'll be referenced more. As I recall, it is not. (laughs) Um, Yeah,
0: and it's not spoiler.
1: Like there's more. There's like a little bit more about Cassie's race before this point, but. They do the same thing where it's like you have to be a black girl at Princeton in nineteen thirty in the nineteen thirties before someone's going to use a racial slur. Yes. And Cassie's and thought is like the version of racism is the racial slur. <laughs> right, but Cassie's thought is like, Oh, I'm, you know, this this misguided soul or whatever. Yeah. Right. Like
0: well she doesn't really think that about him and
1: then then she tries to like
0: yeah you know, she's like him, usually so. i when i meet this kind of thing i think this weak misguided soul this guy you know what i'm mad jake is dead i'm turning into a polar bear and attacking him which yeah that was that was pretty great
1: yeah yeah and i mean you were totally right jenny that that's like it's very much of its time in the 30s but it's yeah. also like yeah it's not
0: not of its time in the 90s in the way that these books seem to be implying. Exactly.
1: So it's like all of these, the the kids are like, they're like 90s every teens that are diverse yeah. in a way that doesn't matter. Like original series Star Trek is diverse in a way that quote unquote doesn't matter, right? Like it's like they're not, um, I don't know.
2: Well, it, we've a, talked this about is this before. the most like, pointed
1: example of it so far.
2: Yeah. It's, it's deliberately diverse so that we can ignore the actual implications of that. Right. Which is... A choice that many series in the '90s made, in a and reflective of like the broader culture of the '90s and the like beliefs of the time. I think, like those reflective of a certain part of the culture of the yes. '90s. <laughs> yes. I would say, right? Yes. I mean.
0: Of sort of mainstream white culture. Right. Yeah.
2: yeah, Upper, yeah. Uh, upper class white culture mm. in the 90s in the U.S. would have found this very acceptable, believable, and understandable. And in fact, like, given them points for having a black character. And oh, so apparently two Jews. Like, how nice. But it just, it... You have to read 30 books to find two, out. Two yes. children of Jews. <laughs> yes. yes. <laughs> Sorry. Good point. Two yeah. children with Jewish fathers. Like, it just, I... Reading it now, yeah, it's, a lot of this book made me feel very uncomfortable. So
0: the drode describes, like, they're in this dystopian, like, world. The drode says, I will tell you about your reality. Your country is an empire ruled by terror and torture. It has made war on the nations to the south. Wow, this sounds torture. so different from our reality. Thank goodness this isn't our world. Yeah. It goes on to say, it slaughters people it calls primitives and enslaves anyone with an IQ below 80 as well as anyone born with what you call defects. A little less directly literally true, but, like, there's just so much in there that's, yeah.
1: I mean, that's scary, like, potential history. Like, Mm -hmm. the eugenics movement begins in the United States.
0: Mm. And,
1: you know, who took some pointers from it? Oh, the Nazis, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) Um, But we should also, I mean... Despite all of our, like, woke commentary, this is still <laughs> what is taught. Like, this is still what Americans believe. Yes. Right. Yeah. Like, this is the version yeah. of history that, that is prevalent and will continue to be taught yes. if things don't change. Oh, right. Yeah. So, like, yes. it's not quite as encapsulated in the 90s as maybe we're making it out to be.
2: Yeah. No, it, it's very accurate. It's Poverty is
0: widespread. Curable diseases run rampant. In the major cities, the poor and homeless are rounded up
2: and shot. Yes, very true.
0: Good thing we don't live in that world, huh? All
2: right. Does anybody have any other things they want?
0: We had a couple of 90s references in addition to the 60s reference to the love vote. We already talked about uh, Leonardo DiCaprio using poles to keep the icebergs from turning us into a bunch of badly dressed Leonardo DiCaprio's. We had a Pong reference, which mm. I don't know enough about the history of Pong. Was it that it, like, it was a thing before the 90s. Yes.
1: Pong but, was not invented in the 40s, though.
0: <laughs> Wait, why would it be invented in the 40s? Because is years, years, 50 years oh. <laughs> No, yeah, that's a good point. The drone is bad at math. <laughs> um,
1: Wait, I think that, I think you've explained all the plot holes in this book. <laughs> yes.
0: The drone designed this plot and he's just not that good at it. <laughs> We get Tobias saying that he can't program a speed dial, Mm. which vital skill that we all have, I know. And then Marco describes ropes as thick as Mark McGuire's biceps. Yes. Oh, Marco is so big. <laughs> he really, really is. That's going to be great in his relationship with Cassie I know, and Jake. My is
1: that Jake looks like
0: Mark McGuire. Yes.
1: <laughs> yes. No one mentions his, like, incredibly huge biceps, but he definitely has them.
0: Okay, now I and need to look up what Mark maybe. McGuire actually looks like.
1: I want. I, you didn't want to know who... I was reading this really fast, whose okay, biceps 10. came to mind. When Marco thought about a bicep Wait, that, comparison, okay. it's, it's been so 20 crucial. years
0: and this is not that good.
2: Okay. <laughs> you gotta go look at the 90s pictures. Look at his baseball not... card. Yeah.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah,
1: get like Oakland A's, Mark McGuire. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I wonder if there's like a reason, like was there a reason? Oh
0: no, Jake looks like this. Oh, this is bad. Was
1: there a reason that Mark McGuire was the one you thought of? Was he like famous no. in a commercial? You know, like... Does I he don't just
2: know. have he huge
1: biceps? He broke in the 90s. Of
0: biceps? <laughs> of
1: home runs.
2: <laughs> yes, also biceps and home runs. Yeah, no. You pick which one
0: you think. More Marco, biceps than any other Marco definitely card. has a baseball card collection, and he mm-hmm. doesn't understand the reasons that he loves it so much. <laughs> but maybe he will once he gets in those relationship with Cassie and Jake, which I am Oh, it's a got milk ad! <gasps> what?
1: Jeremy, well done. <laughs>
0: Oh, okay. Now to
1: that... for our listeners at home? Okay. Marco's type is not baseball players with big guns. It is every 90s celebrity in a Got Milk ad. <laughs> right. uh,
2: this With is, big guns. Uh, This is the the Got Milk ad with uh, Mark McGuire. <laughs> with Mark McGuire. He's got serious... Like, his biceps are larger than my thighs. And he's, okay. he's wearing a... <laughs> yes, good point. He did do so it's fine um, he's wearing a uh, sleeveless black tank high-ish waisted acid-washed jeans and a black belt and it is truly wonderful this is gonna have to go in the episode Ash, notes
1: a glass that looks comically small in his large hands <laughs> and a Louisville slugger oh
2: it's very good it's pretty good yeah so that was
0: uh, that was a really high-quality 90s reference thank you Marco and your undiscovered bisexuality
2: uh Mark McGuire was 6'5". Wow, so that's how tall Jake, Tal Jake, Jake is. Okay, 6'5". Now we know. Wait,
1: <laughs> are we going to have an side corner now that Jeremy's here? Oh boy. <laughs> and they have looked up height data in order that's to, right, to that's send right. these lovely people. And at age 13 What did you learn? At age 13, boys and girls have the same average height. Of it's like five three. Okay. So what? But what is tall for any age? <laughs>
2: <laughs> six foot for, five. For women, yes. <laughs>
0: Rachel is six foot four, okay. and Jake is six foot five because he's the tallest. Is 5'9
1: tall for any age? Yeah.
0: For a woman, yeah. not. I think. For a woman. Yeah, I think average for white men in the U.S. is five ten. I think so. And average for white women in the U.S. is five five so I'm okay yeah. with
1: like like Rachel 5'8 or 5'9 and Jake an inch taller by displaying the series yeah, that yeah, makes yeah. sense to me yeah Gray, you're skeptical yeah sure but what is his shoe size 14 <laughs>
0: not the same as George Washington's
1: <laughs> extra wide he has trouble finding shoes in the 90s <laughs> <laughs> if he lived today he'd be on the internet
0: Inquiring <laughs> minds Rachel funny. knows where to shop do anything else
2: yeah okay then I want you to read this <laughs> what
1: am I reading oh the St. Christmas Day speech
2: yeah just the last bit of it <clears throat> Made it big
1: free. Uh, this whole bit? Yep. Do you want to provide any context?
2: This is the St. Crispin's Day speech from Henry V from Shakespeare. It is one of the more famous monologues, and this is the end bit where it gets really good.
1: This story shall the good man <laughs> teach his son, and Crispin Crispian shall never go by, from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. <laughs> We few, we happy few, we band of brothers, for he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother.
2: Thanks, I hate it.
0: <laughs> uh, we should clarify, we Gray did not ask for this to be read in the drone voice. I'll, Emphatically I'll, I'll,
1: not. I'll, uh, we can save that. Um,
0: we, <laughs> we can put that in our blooper reel. It's going to be great.
1: <laughs> I think it was perfect as it was. <laughs> All right, are you ready? This story shall the good man teach his son, and Crispin, Crispian shall ne'er go by, from this day to the ending of the world, but we in it shall be remembered. We few, we happy few, we band of brothers. For he today that sheds his blood with me shall be my brother, be he ne'er so vile, this day shall gentle his condition. And gentlemen in England now abed shall think themselves accursed they were not here, and hold their manhoods cheap whilst any speaks that fought with us upon St. Crispin's day.
2: Ah, that was great. And then they
0: all go out and die. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of the the point of that scene. All right. Should we predict Book 30? Jeremy can't help because he's read it already. Sometimes our guests get to help, but not you. What's Book 30 called? I want to predict uh, Megamarks The reunion. They're too young to have a reunion. (laughs) It's a grade school reunion. I'm sorry. I wasn't supposed to tell you that. Ah. (laughs) No, we have the Megamorphs books predictions like within the normal cycle. It's just
2: the Chronicles books that aren't. Okay, Marco was also the one, so it's a Marco book. He's turning into a cockroach. It's terrible, predictably. Wow. Um, My question is Marco also had to turn into the spider. Do the Mm. cover artists also not? Well, Jake had to turn into a fly,
0: and Cassie had to turn into a yerk.
2: Yeah, all right, the yerk was real bad. (laughs) Just this cockroach is terrible. Oh, picture three is so gross.
0: It's not great. It's really not great. It's kind of
2: cute. What is wrong with you? <laughs> a lot, apparently. Just seriously I disturbed. Concerns. Yeah, you should. Um, is this one where I can look at the inside picture? Yes. Oh, have you looked at it already? I found it, yeah. Okay. Um, Does that mean it's not helpful? Hmm. Okay. Okay, well, it's a Marker book. He's turning into a cockroach. Um... And the little cut text thing is, uh, Marco must make the ultimate sacrifice. Mm. It's called The Reunion.
0: And He's giving up
2: his, you know, pong machine. Here he already did. <laughs> uh, so the last time we talked about this, I, I said uh, this was going to be the book where Marco's mom comes back. And I'm mm, okay. sticking with that because the okay. reunion maybe. Interesting. So does she attend oh, the elementary school reunion? No, I is think that it's that what happens? their reunion. Oh, okay. So
0: they have a reunion at the elementary school reunion? Is it Reunion okay. Island? It might be. <laughs> Yeah.
1: Um, that was a little geography joke. <laughs> okay, so what else happens?
2: Um,
1: I have other questions, but finish your prediction first.
2: Okay, so his mom comes back, and the ultimate sacrifice is uh, is her. So he has uh, to somehow uh-huh. sacrifice her in order to continue the fight against the Yerkes And I don't actually know what form that's going to take. Maybe, um, or maybe it's it, the sacrifice is... Uh, her like thinking he's dead or something like that so that oh. there's no chance of a future reunion round two. Mm-hmm.
1: Interesting. I want to ask about the logistics of her return. Okay. Because she's dead mm. except for like submarine noises, right? According to what we know. <laughs> sure. So, like, <laughs> medical term. What brings her back <laughs> if that were to happen?
2: Well, she was in the submarine. Okay. And then...
1: But like what's Viscer One doing that they have to reunite?
2: Oh, um oh I see. Uh I think she is still part of the invasion force. She's been running some reinduction seminars on the Blade Show.
1: <laughs> Oh, I love that.
2: Amazing. I love
1: that. (laughs) That makes uh, the reduction seminars make a lot of sense.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Didn't we decide that Fissor 3 was really just sick? So is she just, like,
2: caring for a sick Visser (gasps) 3? No, she was, um, every every day she'd go in and, like, throw (laughs) things at him. (laughs) It was less caring for and more antagonizing on his sick bed. Okay, so she was on the ship trying to kill him while he was sick. Yeah. Because he was weaker. Something like that. Okay. Um... And she's been recuperating from injuries sustained during said underwater exploration thing. Uh, and also helping with another aspect of the invasion um, where they uh, have an outpost in uh, New York City. Oh, okay. Cool.
1: Good prediction. Love it.
2: Great. Yeah. Looking forward to that reunion. Me too. Big Apple. <laughs> Are they going to have the reunion in the Big Apple? Uh, yes, but Mark was going to be a cockroach in the Apple at the time.
1: <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> That's amazing.
2: Yeah, right. no, it's going to be good.
1: Thanks for coming back, Jeremy.
0: It's so great to pleasure. have you. Let us know when you
1: have another very small rant. <laughs> we'll have you back.
0: Yeah, yeah. You keep telling me about these rants.
1: The second read of this book was not as bad as I expected. <laughs>
2: If you want to find us, we are at Anamorphology.com and at Anamorphology on Twitter. Subscribe on Apple iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or wherever you're listening to this podcast. And don't forget to rate us, review us, and recommend us to your friends.
1: And if you want to read along, you can find a link to the Animorphs ebooks on our website.
2: <laughs> so I made another note that just said, oh man, someone f- up history.